On that first day, when Moadib rode through the streets of Arakeen with his family, some of the people along the way recalled the legends and the prophecy, and they ventured to shout, Mahdi. But their shout was more of a question than a statement, for as yet they could only hope he was the one foretold as the Lisan al-Gaib, the voice from the outer world. Their attention was focused too on the mother, because they had heard she was a Bene Gesserit, and it was obvious to them that she was like the other Lisan al-Gaib. From Manual of Moadib by the Princess Irulan. Welcome to Spice World, an inebriated exploration of Frank Herbert's Dune. My name is Derek. And my name's Mike. Each chapter, we open a new bottle of wine and have a bit of a buzzed book club. A buzzed book club indeed, Buzzed Mike. book club. Ah, oh, I'm glad to be back. Uh, it always feels like it's been too many days. It really between. does, doesn't it? Partially because I don't know how to track a week. Uh, <laughs> between the real world and Dune, always It offset. must be Thursday. <laughs> it must be. <laughs> Uh, actually, no, I think we recorded on a Friday recently, just because of scheduling conflicts, and that was really weird. You think that's, what, that's what's throwing me out of my loop? Yeah, that was really odd, so let's never do that again. I won't agree to that, but I'm sure it'll <laughs> go up. Nonetheless, to get us back in routines, we've gotten a tried-and-true bottle of wine, Mike, uh, yeah, th- which is unusual is, for the repertoire. It's but a favorite of yours, I'm, uh, I'm aware. It is. Uh, this is my go-to. And uh, we used this for our very first drunken episode that we never released. Is that what it was? Because I, I don't remember, Derek. This is the same one. Uh, I didn't know what else to pick at that point, so I went with <laughs> this. Uh, and this is Louis M. Martini, a Cabernet Sauvignon out of uh, Sonoma County. This is a 2017. And uh, this one, when I lived down in Puerto Rico, Mike, we used to grab a bottle of this about once a week, we my buddies, and we'd drink it up on the roof and have a splendid old time. Oh, that so, sounds pretty wonderful. This is memory wine for me. It takes me down uh, in real life. Okay, that's good. I like uh, that. Sitting in Rio Piedras drinking that up. Uh, and in, uh, it was like we considered it our house wine. So <laughs> it's glad to see it back in rotation. Uh, oh, it's full body. It's so smooth. Very I, was, dry. I was actually thinking about that uh, two bottle pilot recently mm-hmm. and how there's just so many little nuggets of gold, but like the rest of it is just sort of so all over the place. <laughs> I would love to just sort of like uh, cut and paste a couple of those into like a, a like a bonus episode or something talking about like I think it was Holtzman. We had a I had a lot to say oh, about Holtzman. Yeah, we had a fun time talking about you it, won uh, me over. You crushed me. There was yeah, there was some emotional uh, roller coasting there. Oh, man, it's been. Yeah, so maybe, not- maybe we do a Holtzman episode here. We might. I mean, we are on a roller coaster ride, kind of from here <laughs> this on is out. True. Yeah. Uh, I mean, even every every couple episodes, we get to one where we're just like, we don't have time for anything else. I know. Uh, just getting through. I mean, the gist of it. What, uh, last week we met Duncan Idaho finally, and we didn't even talk about his backstory at all. I still know no. El Morte more than Duncan, and we met Duncan. <laughs> We know El Morte a lot better than a lot of people. It's true. Uh, I I think I'm going to be able to remedy that a little bit today. Okay, good. That's going to be what we make up for. I got right. a, little, uh, a little dive on Duncan uh, that we can go into. All right, I'm down. Yeah, that'll be great. Uh, yeah, because last week, very thorough. We did see uh, some spice mining equipment, too. Yeah, so we, just oh, we to got cover a little all, bit. all the bits of that meeting. The Carriel, love that name. Mm-hmm. Uh, the factory, Corraler. Um, did we talk about the Spice Prospector? 
But yeah, we talked about Catching the Spice Prospectors. Spice Prospector out there, finding <laughs> them. They gotta me, go on foot. This makes me think of old Bonesaw. I just wanted to make sure, yeah, that yeah. I, I didn't miss that one. Uh, I <laughs> the notes today. But that in mind, we are back this week for chapter 13. We're gonna keep cruising forward. Wow, is it already 13? Yeah. Man, it just feels like we're flying. Yeah, like I said, there are only 22 in here, so we're almost done with the book one. We're right. over halfway on that downward slide. And oh, this one has quite the uh, little quote in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's setting some stuff up. Again, we sort of touched on that there was more to this first day, uh, just from the illusions that I think Dr. Yui brought up, saying these other people were like kind of, they thought they were water riots and they calmed down. Right, right. And now this quote's telling us that when they rode through the streets, people were shouting something at Paul. Yeah, so they kept saying Mahdi. Mm-hmm. And Mahdi... Is what does that statement mean exactly? Because they said that they were like referencing some sort of uh prophecy mm-hmm. as the Lisan, was it Lisan al Gaib? Yeah, perfect. Lisan al Gaib, which means the voice from the outer world. Yeah, which is just dope. Yeah, cool sounding. And I can't help but feel this is definitely uh, uh, the uh. Oh, oh you got, got Bene Gesserit? Yeah. Uh, Missionaria Protectiva? Missionaria Protectiva. I, I figured that's what you're reaching for. Yeah, no, thank yeah, you. It's I want to say, like, Prophetica, Pro- that wasn't... No, yeah, that's the... Is uh, that it was their uh, book, was, like... Uh, Prophetica Pro... Pro... Te- Pro- Pro- oh, it's not Protectiva. You confused me now. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but Propheticus was right in there. I can't... Yeah. Maybe it wasn't two really bottles, Derek. Look. Maybe it was just this wine. <laughs> Maybe it does things. <laughs> He's here to ruin our show and undermine us at every turn. Uh, but yeah, it's got, uh, their fingerprints is all over this. Ex- you're dead on. Uh, Mahdi is their word for like Messiah. Oh, that, okay. That totally makes sense. Yep. And, uh, which is why they say they kind of shout it more of a question. They're hopeful. Like, uh, is this it? Yeah. It's just the one we've been waiting for. Um, and so I think that's all pretty straightforward, <sighs> intriguing for sure. But then that last line in it, um, was, uh, their attention was focused too on the mother. Because they heard she was a Bene Gesserit, and it was obvious to them that she was like the other Lisan al-Gaib. How many Lisan al-Gaibs are there? Well, I mean, a whole family came from the other world. Anyone <laughs> with from another world, Mike, I guess is a Lisan al-Gaib, <laughs> as long as you're talking. Uh, it's interesting. I bet they had a similar experience when uh, um, Count Fenring and uh, uh, Margot came. So I... I Assumed you were going to jump to that. And that is a logical set of steps based mm-hmm. on what you know and what we've kind of entertained. That is not what they're talking about. Uh, it wasn't Margot. Uh, Margot, I, I will give you, I think, uh, could have been, a, like, they might have thought about it. Right. Uh, but that's not who they're referring to. There is someone uh, we're going to meet that's going to match up to this other Lisan al-Gaib. Oh. Uh, feel. So someone is, like, messed with the missionary protectiva among the Fremen to some extent. Oh, and, like, changed what the prophecy sort of is, means or refers to? Yeah, yeah. Like, it is, uh, it's based just in, in the sense, uh, not, like, knowingly they did it, because uh, it's someone who's not a Bene Gesserit. Right. Well, and they didn't know there was an agenda attached to it either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just didn't want to, like, make you think there was any uh, oh, I was just intelligent curious. design to it on that person's well, part. Well, it's, it's hard to say other. because there's so much intelligent design behind everything the Bene Gesserit do. Yeah. Uh, no, but I mean like this other Lisan Algaibu's gotten there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Bene Gesserit for sure. They've, is there a reason there's two, or is it just sort of like a, a Harry Potter situation where there's like two people that fit the mold? Ooh, um, 
I think it's the other one just matched up closely to the prophecy as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's like a little different. Okay. So obviously they didn't meet it fully because we're still asking, is Paul the Mahdi? Or not the Mahdi, the uh, Lisan al-Gaib. Right. Because uh, Mahdi is... Well, what does Mahdi mean exactly? Like I said, it's Messiah. Oh, okay. so for them, like uh, the Mahdi was going to be the son of the. Uh, I think they're well. They're using it as like a word for him, and I think kind of her, um, being uh, the voice from the other world. Okay. Now, this uh, this didn't. I think. Ooh, maybe the voice too is also like. I was Benny about to Jesuit. say this wasn't lost on me. The voice. Yeah. And. I bet, I mean, I bet Lady Jessica can do it, obviously. Because isn't it sort of like the last step of your, yeah. like, Well, uh, remember, guys told her to train Paul to do it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. And so Paul is sort of learning. Like, he's got the basics of it, probably, without even realizing it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they've done some practice into it. So, oh, like, guys said she sees it kind of in him, but you got to give him the full training. Gotcha. The like, he needs unrestricted access to this power. Man, well, here's the thing. If they're calling Paul Messiah, and yes, this is definitely lining up perfectly for, like, uh... Uh, the child of uh, a Bene Gesserit, mm-hmm. which I, I'm sure the missionary protectiva, like that was the whole point to protect someone. Sure. Um, uh, especially um, someone who's pregnant. Uh, oh, yeah. So it's sort of like just on the missionary protectiva side, uh, it would be like one protect like a Bene Gesserit, but then there's also gets an even more. So if she's pregnant, she's going to need that protection more. And right. it's like the myth even reinforces like, oh, that's another check mark to be like right. two things that make you likely to be our savior. And it's not just protecting uh, a sister. It's also protecting a uh, genetic line if that's necessary. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Which Especially, is important. Yep. So like that for whatever child she'd be carrying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. the Bene Gesserit would know that, obviously. Mm hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I think the voice would be interesting. I can totally see them uh, matching up Paul as a messiah because he's got this prescience about him. He can tell people are telling the truth or not. Mm -hmm. He will probably have access to the voice. He um, is like a mentat capable. This guy's got it all pretty much. Now, they don't know any of those they, things. They don't yet, know but, any of that. But, yeah, but yeah. like, as soon as he starts speaking, it's going to be like when Lady Jessica was answering Maze. She's hitting all the right, right beats you're saying from on where, accident. From where you're sitting, yeah. you'll be like, this is looking pretty good, guys. Yeah. You are on the right path. <laughs> His CV is loaded. Mm-hmm. This guy, top-notch valedictorian, too. Class, <laughs> class exactly. of one, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Less impressive. He's <laughs> still putting it down. He's nobility. That's really cool. That I, I do like that. I want to... I want to see the voice. Is it going to be a while until we get to voice? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it's a little <sighs> bit. All right, well, that's fine. Just let it let it simmer in the background, kind of like Duncan Idaho for <laughs> twelve oh, God, chapters Duncan. before we meet him. All right, all right. Let's let's start off here. Let's, we uh, we ended with a council meeting. We did, and uh, specifically a little ways in, Leto told uh, Thufir to meet him uh, a little side. They were going to set up an intel and a comms room on a different floor, right? And then he wanted to have a little sidebar with Thufir. I think he wants to say some things to Thufir that, like, maybe... Uh, you think he's got to get some things off his chest? I mean, yeah. they already had a little... Well, some things off his chest. little heart-to-heart before uh, that meeting. It wasn't really a heart-to-heart. <laughs> it's more like, <laughs> Thufir, shut up. Get people in here. <laughs> like, oh, okay, I stopped being mad seconds ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm done. Right before you open the door. <laughs> but, but uh, no, I think it's more like... Uh, Towards the end, that meeting didn't really end on a great note. No, it sort of spiraled out of control a yeah. little bit. Uh, Duke, he's he's losing his edge. I think he uh, maybe wants to talk to, well, uh, originally, I, and I think I am validated on a little bit of this, he wants to talk to Thufir about 
some things he didn't really want to continue speaking about in front of the rest of the council, Mm -hmm. the war council, because it could have made it end on an even worse note, sort of have more of a division between uh, people. And it is revealed later on in this chapter that it seems like uh, Leto was aware something was on Hawat's mind. Hawat Mm. didn't want to say during that meeting, too, which didn't come across in that chapter as we went through the staff meeting. But he just does say it so plainly here. Where, like, Howat was always getting more agitated. Right. Uh, and then he finally drags it out of him. Well, he's known this man his whole life. Yes. Uh, yeah, both of them. Yeah. Like, especially the, from Howat to him. Yeah. That's the way to think. I don't know how you were thinking of Leto knowing him through his I whole mean, life. I mean, I guess knowing both, Lito. really. Like, uh, that just culmination. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we walk in and uh, we're going into another little side room. And I love this like uh, room just because of the chairs that you started off with. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, they were uh, three suspensor chairs uh, from which the Harkonnen H had been hastily removed, <laughs> leaving an imperfect color patch. Oh, um, that's just great, you know, because we just got here today. We, reuse, repurpose. Someone like took a chisel, was just like, Mm-mm. yeah, oh yeah, you get you get the image of like this probably happened like just yesterday. So we yeah. pried it off really quickly, moved on with their duty. Mm-hmm. And now we're here. And oh, it, man, I would love a suspensor chair. Just sounds so good. Oh, there's a better chair down the road. Better chair. Okay. Uh, yeah, we got time, Mike. We're going to talk. Uh, there's a thing called a chair dog. A ch- what? A, a chair, chair dog. Chair dog? A chair dog. They're really expensive. Uh, is it what I think it is? What do you think it is? I think it's like some sort of throne, but with like four legs. Isn't that a throne? Uh, okay, legs yeah, that move. Legs. <laughs> okay, you yeah. know what I meant. I do. You know yeah. what I meant. So it is essentially a sentient chair. It's an wait, animal. A sent- wait, it's an animal? It's an animal. So it's not like a servoc. No, no, no. It's more like an actual dog. But so it's just been like, so you take whatever this thing is, they've bred it to the point where like, uh, it doesn't have, I don't think it has eyes or mouth or anything. Oh, It just is sort of stationary, but it loves to be touched, Mike. And when you sit in it, the chair like just sort of like gently caresses you and sort of like molds to you. And it's just like, it's like having a dog snuggle up to you. I thought you said a better chair, Derek. Oh, Mike, and it hovers. <laughs> it doesn't have eyes or a face. Well, you don't want it looking at you. <laughs> it's a chair. Yes. I want to cuddle with a dog. I don't want to like. I'm just saying, Mike, it's an intelligent chair. Totally sentient. They take care of it. Oh, it man. I think you. they took this no machines thing a little too far. Like, th- that's that's a limit for me. Interesting. Well, I don't think I like the, the chair dog. I didn't think the chair would be so divisive. Uh, <laughs> I love the chair dog. Uh, mainly because he doesn't tell you it. He just says it in a line. And it took me an entire book to figure out what the hell a chair dog was. <laughs> is it in the glossary? I don't even know if there was one at that point. But I was just like, what is this chair dog? You can't just say that. <laughs> What a shock way to learn. So we have regular suspensor chairs mm-hmm. that you would like then. And uh, Hawad assures him the chairs have been liberated, but they are quite safe. <laughs> like liberated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I feel like that's the best uh, best attempt at an icebreaker for Thufir. That's like Thufir's uh, <laughs> yeah. joke. Yeah, <laughs> That's the pinnacle of Thufir humor. And uh, Huber's cut short because his next question is, where, where is, is Paul, Paul, sir? Yeah. <laughs> like, by the way, where is he? <laughs> We know <laughs> he's got a little something on his mind. <laughs> he makes it very clear that is uh, that is not slipped through him, mm-hmm. and now is going to be his priority going forward. It seems, and uh, how it goes, mm-hmm. and he kind of just closes the door so yeah. they can sort of have the room to themselves. And Paul's like sleeping in the the council chamber still, so he is. Yeah, he's or he in, left them to sleep. He's in a conference room, yeah. so he's a ways down the hall. This is on a different floor, 
And uh, these guys, all the other men are busy setting up that comms room, so there's like a lot of electric static noises and stuff that were out there. Now, what's on Le- Leto's mind? Oh, Leto. He wants to know more about those storehouses. Yeah, not even know about it. He's like, he's just telling how like, <laughs> it's like is, we got this just... is how he tells him, I think, what he wants him to do without being fully yeah. like, hey, I need you to go attack these right now. And yeah, there are storehouses. They are susceptible to being destroyed. It hey, just it happens. happens in the desert, man. Well, this isn't even in the desert. Those were <laughs> those were the botanical testing stations. <laughs> oh, these are just storehouses. We're, we have one excuse and we're just going to keep using it. Things right. get broken. Who knew? Uh, <laughs> it wasn't us. And uh, Hawad is pretty reluctant. To take this on, and Leo is just like, "Well, look, don't go after the Emperor's horde. Like, we don't Obviously, need to piss him off. Yeah, that's not what I mean. But like, the Harkonnens are fair game. Even yeah. the Emperor will get that joke. Yeah. And then what's the Harkonnen gonna do? Say my stolen he's not supposed horde to have spice, it, right? <laughs> yeah. All that spice I skimmed off of the books. <laughs> like, oh. Uh, I think the emperor would have him like hung from the, you know, the walls of the yeah. palace or something, whatever. Because he's very, very protective of his spice. Yeah. He's very jealous of that. It's the only thing he's got control over. I think in the universe, everywhere else, people are just always putting their plans into his plans, Mm -hmm. whether it be the Bene Gesserit or the Harkonnens or just the Chome and the Spacing Guild. The spice is all he's got. Uh, So we are, we've already noticed we were stretched thin personnel wise. Yeah. So he's leading. It's like with one man. Yeah. He's like, take Idaho's men. They just, they just came down. (laughs) Idaho's not here. (laughs) Yeah. He doesn't need them. And uh, or you can take the Fremen if you need to. Maybe some of them want to go. Well, I don't. I don't think they're quite uh, quite on that level yet. Uh, I don't know. Getting getting a raiding party might not be impossible. You're looking at maybe like, not. Well, okay. You have you'd have to have Duncan do some uh, some uh, wheeling and dealing there. I don't. I don't know. I don't think it would be that difficult. You're you're telling the Fremen, look, we'll take you all expense paid trip to go kill some Harkonnens. And we'll bring you back. I I don't know how. Uh, this uh, might be off planet. Now we know that each one of them is going to need a permission slip from their naive. Yeah, Stilgar is going <laughs> to yeah. sign them all out and uh, do it. Uh, but nonetheless, I think the more important thing is that um, Hawat mentions, like you know, we don't want to upset our you know right. negotiations with the Fremen. Like right, that right, can right. be a little touchy. Uh, I think that isn't the most important thing to balance. That Leto is even kind of considering using these pawns at this point before our allegiance very is fully early, hammered I think. out. I don't think that that's wise at all. Mm-hmm. And so how uh, he kind of just ex- acknowledges, like, okay, we're we're doing this. Like, I can't really get you to not agree to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Leto thinks there's some, uh, you know, benefit to just letting the troops blow some steam off, like right. get a victory in our in our belts and stuff. Two victories. Yeah, it's gonna m- maybe raise the morale a little bit. But uh, the Duke notices something he notices there's still a little bit of uh nervousness yeah through your face you know man he thought uh perhaps he suspects i just trust him that's what runs through lido's mind right he's like well, like well after everything that just happened like i guess i don't blame him for thinking that i really got to put him at ease mm-hmm. and i i like how he does that too uh he's gonna go right to the thing that how wants to hear <laughs> it's like man he looks really down and out let me go ahead and tell him something that'll just brighten his day yeah it's like i trust you immensely guess what there's definitely a traitor among us yeah yeah but you just like uh, he trusts him completely yeah and we've had him mention that like two or three times now to how of like i know who my friends are you know i know who i can trust it's you how and uh, how he doesn't go into this mentat mode, which is what Leto's kind of expecting. Right. You're expecting his eyes to sort of got to go that blank look and him to start like processing information. Like who could be and like processing information. But here's the thing. He's already got an idea in his head. Mm-hmm. So 
How do you, how do you, well, <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned it just that way. That is exactly what Piter wants. Yeah, it, it is. So, well, no, I want to talk about Piter's plan. Like, okay, but I just more, want to but... say like him not going into Mintat mode. That's our first sign that it's already getting in the way of his right. calculations because he can't do it. Because uh, right now, what's the thing that he's really Oh, I hadn't considered the fact that he can't do it. He's... I thought maybe because he already had an inkling of idea, he wasn't like going into it. But the fact that maybe he's, not quite capable of doing it. I guess not capable. Uh, like maybe like capable isn't the word, but I'm, I think I'm thinking he's actively choosing not to. And mm. in this instance, it's because he doesn't want to hurt Leto's feelings. Because right now, the thing that he's welling up inside that's about to come out is that he has to tell him that Jessica could be your traitor. And right. I think that's who it is. But he knows what damage that's going to do to Leto. I just think it's funny that uh, Leto's intention is to make him feel better. Mm -hmm. so he tells him the one thing that's gonna make Thufir tell like actually feel worse it's like oh no <laughs> yeah i guess so like Thufir has this one note and now he's just learned of two more notes that uh correlate with the data he has yeah if you're, if you're only working off the little bits that they got and yeah so leto he kind of studies that old man he tells him like look you've been holding something back old friend i should have suspected this when you were so nervous during staff what is it that was too hunt uh, too hot to dump in front of the full conference? And through Sappho's stained lips, uh, we have Hava. He's sort of unsure how to bring this up, and uh, not quite sure how to broach it. Mm -hmm. I like the I like what Leto says. Like we suffered many a scar for each other. You can broach any subject with me. Like that's that's really good. Yeah, that's nice. So we I like know that. about Thufir's got that big scar all up his leg. Mm -hmm. well, that wasn't for for uh, Leto. That was for no, his father. For, for the family. But yeah, yeah. <clears throat> But, uh, no, you're right, he doesn't want to hurt him, but, uh, he, he's very, uh, sort of shy and coy with it at first. It's like, well, we, we found a scrap of note. Yeah, he definitely, he'll never say, yeah. no, it's always a scrap of a note. Just yeah. a piece of it. We a found, little just inkling. Just a fragment. Um. It's up to various <laughs> interpretations. <laughs> Could mean anything. We yeah. don't know that this is for sure. But there was a sign of a traitor in the note, and this note was intended for a Harkin agent who has the silliest name of all. Party! Party! <laughs> I hope so, I hope he is very outgoing. Here's uh, a, it would be really sad if he wasn't. Oh, if he was the worst the, kind of party. Yeah, uh, party is such a downer. You don't want to have party <laughs> show up. Party, party. He's a buzzkill. But so you said there's no small characters. I gotta ask: Is party a small character, or are we actually gonna meet party at some point? Is it just the throwaway? Yeah, he's dead. Oh, <laughs> you know what? It sounds. Well, no, no. Is he dead? Yeah. Oh, I didn't realize the courier was party. So, no, 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 no. The courier isn't party was already gone. But when they captured the courier, the courier didn't know what he was carrying. Right. Uh, and had no idea, like the uh, extent of the note. And the courier died, too, upon apprehension. Oh, I didn't realize the party was caught. Yeah, though. they aren't able to interrogate party either to get to. And uh, so there's, there's no source to this message. Uh, but we are just referred to the party was like, yeah, top man in the Harkonnen underground uh, here on Arrakis. So that would be that, uh, you know, those cells of people that Hawa was uh, uprooting and there's only a hundred of them left in like three cells. Uh, yeah. That would have been like what party. Oh, that's, what okay. That's the that underground. Sense. Yeah. Uh, that he's part of. So. Um, party, not a good space name. I don't care how it's spelled. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Yeah. You lose me on Yeah. It. Party. Yeah, it's too silly. It's too silly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whatever. He's dead. <laughs> so. 
we have a later now asking like, what is the delicate content of this note? And like you said, yeah, it's a, it's a crap a note. It's a fragment of a note. It's like, no, no, fragment, fragment. Mm-hmm. And uh, then when we get down to the nitty gritty and he tells him, it says, Eto, because the L was cut yeah, off like in the burning of the yeah. note. Uh, Eto will never suspect. And when the blow falls on him from a beloved hand, its source alone should be enough to destroy him. So that's pretty obvious what that means. Yeah, yeah, yes and no. I mean, I mean Leto immediately like. Uh, well, hold on. I think he knows where Hawat's going with this. Oh yeah, because for sure. he knows Hawat's prejudices going into this. That's true. I think that's why Hawat so quickly goes to, and why like right away Leto is like, no, like he doesn't even want to hear this anymore. And he says, "Your suspicion is obvious." The Duke said, and his voice was suddenly cold. Ooh. And Hawat, I think Hawat knows what he's walking into because he comes back with like, I'd sooner cut off my <laughs> arms than hurt you. Fear, you can tell me anything. I'll kill you. <laughs> and then, I go, no. But uh, yeah, it's so this, we know this is for, uh, from their perspective, this is for sure real or at least like officially from the Baron because it's an authenticated seal from this note. Yep, it was under the Baron's own seal. Uh, yeah, and this is Hawat authenticated yeah, himself. Yeah, so you know that it's it's legit. Mm-hmm. This is from the source. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, and so you know he's like the Lady Jessica, and he felt anger consuming him. Mm-hmm. And that's when he asked him, like, "You can get the facts out of Party," and we learned that in Party. And yeah, nope, not possible. There is no Party anymore. Yeah. And you know what? The Atreides have a problem with us. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, is it a problem, Mike, or are they really good at what they do? Uh, I, can't, I mean, I don't know. Paul Paul gave the command, we're going to have to destroy the Harkonnens. <laughs> That's true. Maybe everyone's you know, just going off They really should like, think about this first. They, oh, man. I feel like this is honestly like Warfare 101. Like You always try to get as much information as you can. And I feel like just doing that is not a great idea. <laughs> Take one live guy, guys. Just capture one just live capture one. <laughs> we haven't been able to. Yet. The other one, like, it wasn't even poison or anything. They just roughed him up good. Like, what the hell? <laughs> I love you. We roughed him up, but he died. <laughs> like, like, really? What, what happened? You didn't between... want to interrogate him for anything? <laughs> well, just what happened in between those two steps? How long did you rough That's him so up? That's so dumb. So, yeah, we, we keep uh, getting rid of any chance of finding out uh, maybe some saving grace and killing all of our leads. So we're left with uh, Leto just internally rejecting this. He knows Jessica. Oh, yeah. He knows his wife. Uh, oh, what? <clears throat> what did you say? Oh, yeah. Oh, sick burn. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Throwing some shade there. <laughs> knows his concubine. Uh, and at one point, uh, the Duke even barks at Hawat as they're kind of having this exchange back and forth. And Hawat just thinks it's foolish not to consider Jessica. Uh, and I, that I feel like is sort of that Mintat way breaking through. Like, no, you have to at least mm-hmm. like watch and wonder it. And uh, Leto goes through that kind of list of, uh, you know, the opportunities she's had up to this point. 16 years, Derek. 16 years. She could have put poison in my food or a knife in my heart. Like yeah. at any point. Uh, but uh, they bring up the idea of uh, Conley again. Sort of like the whole like... Uh, Oh, well, well, at it. the very, at the very, yeah, yeah. I like that whole thing. But uh, just before we have a uh, lining up the Harkonnens, uh, 
they want to see the entire family destroyed. And so Leto was wondering, like, would she be willing to destroy her own son? Yeah, that like, would have surely to be, not. That would have to be something Hawat's accepting to be able to think that, right? That seems so unreasonable. Uh, and Hawat wonders if, like, the attempt on Paul was just a clever sham. Which, Maybe it's all just a ploy. Yeah. Uh, and he says, sire, she isn't supposed to know her parentage, but what if she does know? That's theory one. What if she was an orphan? Say an orphaned by an Atreides. In like a raid or something. I mean. No, no. Like what if the Atreides left her? What if she was an Atreides? No, no, no. I think. Or, it, or yeah, no. I mean the other option. Yeah. Or her parents I killed by the Atreides. I think orphaned. I guess I interpreted that as orphaned by an Atreides. Like on an Atreides raid. Like they killed her family. Uh, I just think the use of Anne there makes it seem like by Anne Atreides is so is singular. Okay. I guess that makes sense. So like in a raid, that would be weird because it wouldn't be like an actual Atreides going up, killing her father. I just imagined it as like, what if uh, it was like Gurney Halleck situation where. Yeah, no, I, no, yeah. I think and I think we, we should entertain that here, too, of like, yeah. So what if her parents were one killed by an Atreides and that led to her being orphaned? What if she is Atreides and was, you know, left and abandoned to the Bene Gesserit? Uh, and then what they don't entertain here is like, what if she was like from any of the other enemy houses or like, you know, the minor ones that like the Harkonnen have alliances with or any of the right. limitless intrigue, I guess, in the Imperium uh, or from Shaddam's court or something like that. Right. But like he, he, she still probably would have done something before then, I feel. Because 16 years <laughs> like is a like, long time. Like, yeah. So then even if we're examining like, so she would have killed him, right? Like, <laughs> she would have done this. Like, if not, like, she's definitely, like, forgotten or forgiven at this point. Like, that's. Yeah. And uh, then we get to the point you're making. Uh, uh, do you have this quote right on hand? Oh, I don't think I do. I, but I do. Oh, so this is Hawa talking. And he says, the Harkonnens mean to destroy you, my lord. Their intent is not just to kill. There's a range of fine distinctions in Canley. This can be a work of art among vendettas. And I was just thinking like, ah, oh, that's, I, you know, how, but, I, how about looking through and seeing. Here's the thing, though. Everything Howitt said so far has been actually pretty on point. Aside from his suspect, the attempt on Paul's life was a sham. Like it wasn't no. meant to kill him. Yes, it was. It was meant. No, it was meant it, to raise suspicion. Because remember when no, uh, it, w- it could potentially fail, but it was meant to look as real as it can. Yeah. Yeah. But it was a sham. That wasn't the intention of it. I think it was. I mean, uh, aren't you kind of got to say the only reason Paul lived. Vlad seemed pretty sad at the idea of Paul dying. Right. But he wasn't the one who crafted the plan. True. Piter did the plan. And I think he would have just told the Baron whatever he needed to know. He said, that, uh, you know, he even said, like, there's a remote possibility he could die. It's like, right. It's not and the point. He almost did, though. I know. I know. Okay. But and I'm so- just saying, I don't think that that was. I think that uh, Thufir is right on that one. I guess so. How that it was how, a sham? How is it a sham, though? I guess oh, when I'm thinking sham, I'm thinking like uh, it was like it wouldn't just, have killed him. Yeah, no, it totally like would that, have killed him. But like Piter's smarter than that. Okay, okay. I think I'm just I was imagining sham more of like a big like it's all fake, it's all for show. Oh no, I think the point is that that's not the point of it. That's not yeah yeah. yeah. It's for it's to it, create the idea. It's a distraction. That, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay, I see what you're saying. In the grand scheme of things. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think I think that's what Hawat means in this situation. But, think, I, but I agree with, like, okay, how you're you talking to me about You think he's assuming it. that, like, oh, it wouldn't have actually killed him? Yeah, I think, I think what he's insinuating there is that Jessica set up a situation or that Paul is either in on it or that she would have never even had the potential mm. to kill him. Like, he always would have gotten out of that one 
because she would never actually kill her son. Uh, but that seems even more far-fetched to me. I mean, they're all far-fetched because ultimately we know it's not Jessica. But uh, We're going to count on her. A work of art among vendettas. I would say he's also nailing that one because Piter. Yeah, that is, I think, two men tabs being like, yeah. this, is, this is done well. Yeah. Potentially very well because I can't see all the moves on the board. Uh, Does the I, th- I bet I bet that would make Piter blush. <laughs> just like i'm just hearing that like that's all he's ever does wanted. uh piter drink the sapo juice as well uh i think so i think he also is kind of like he oh well, he's a he's got a spice problem yeah he does so, I, so now he, I, might, he might even be swapping that out for spice well now i imagine that like if piter blushing it's blue eyes sort of like Pro- rosy cheeks and like really purple, <laughs> purple lips, lips. <laughs> like really just like <laughs> He's pretty much just a bag of crushed sweet tarts. I was just kind of imagining Ziggy Starchild. Because <laughs> <of>, uh, <laughs> I think Piter's on the slim side. He's going to have those hollow cheeks. And... Oh, man. But Bowie was already taken for Labyrinth. So. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Piter. That's funny. So, we uh, yeah, we're looking at this. Oh my god, this work of art of vendetta. And the Duke cannot even accept this at all. He's still rejecting every idea, every uh, potential for Jessica to be his betrayer. And uh, he opens his eyes and he stares at Hawat thinking, let him be suspicious. Suspicion is his trade, not mine. And perhaps if I appear to believe this, this will make another man careless. So the potential to actually root out the real traitor yeah he's like if i play this like they have uh they've won they've tricked yeah, me can make I, them think that can they I have them slip up all and, the cards in their hand mm-hmm. which and, i think they still do regardless oh yeah even yeah. if him trying yeah he's just trying to get a <laughs> it's like i'll just draw more cards yeah yeah i mean even if we drop the card one it's sort of uh, the analogy the duke used before was knowing what hand the knife is in Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, you know, I think the knife is switched hands That's right a really now. That's a good point. We need to figure out which hands it's in again. Mm-hmm. You know, we're looking. We're trying to find out who is holding the actual poison tip dagger. So it sort of gives him the go-ahead to sort of uh, watch her. Yeah, and this is like a critical decision point for the Duke. Mm-hmm. And he sort of decides it on a whim. And yeah, he says, all right, we're going to assign surveillance to it. And how about he knows the man to put on it? It's going to be Duncan Idaho. But Duncan just left. Yeah, on well, so then think of the Duncan Jessel. We, we did this like how long's it been? It's been a couple hours. No, it probably hasn't. It's probably just been like maybe like 20 minutes. Yeah, because like Thufir would have just come up here and then Duke would have followed not too long after. Mm-hmm. So we've just established the ambassador for the Fremen right now. We signed a deal with Spit on a table mm-hmm. and he's out. And already the Duke is open to bringing him back to keep an eye on this and this problem. And uh, pulling him from the Fremen is not going to be an easy thing. And they tell him, like, we have one other guy. Like, he's uh, not the best, but we've been training him. Uh, we've been training him to be a diplomat mm-hmm. within uh, Duncan's troopers that we can send out. Now, he I, doesn't. Uh, yeah. Leto doesn't say no. He just says, don't jeopardize a foothold with the Fremen. Right. And that's why I think it's so strange of like uh, that Leto is willing to go that far. Yeah. That seems crazy to me. Yeah. I feel like he's literally throwing away like all the good progress they just made. Mm -hmm. Or at least risking it. Yeah. Yeah. More so than I thought we were going to as of last chapter. Like Like, this isn't even like an analogy for the. What is it called? The Carnita for a bullring? Corrida. Corrida. Carnita is meat in Spanish. Ah, delicious. I think it's like pork. Ah, yeah. (laughs) 
Well, anywho, <laughs> now I am hungry. <laughs> but so this isn't like an analogy of that anymore. It's he's not like doing this for show. Like mm-hmm. this is more behind the scenes that he's making this decision. And I feel like it's more out of a, not a maybe a desperation. Yeah. Yeah, it just yeah. it feels weird that he would do this at this point. Desperation is good based on like this chapter and what we're building towards. We're kind of seeing the Duke unravel a little bit. Yeah. Uh, especially how we first met him. In the next like, chapter too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're just going to see him sort of like he's coming undone at the seams a little bit. Like, you know, Jeez. from the, when we saw him in the. He's ele- only been here a day, Derek. Yeah. And look how much that hurt. Like we saw him in the elevator that first time. Like as oh, soon as those man. doors close, he, I, he falls apart a little bit. Here's the he thing. Puts even himself if, back together before he, another season. Even if he wins this. I don't think he could make a life here. I don't no. think I don't think. That oh, this man, po- he keeps having that thought, though, of like, I could do it. And then the next line is, oh, no, I can't do it. I can't do it. I, I think coming to this planet, win or lose over this. Uh, uh, it was battle the, of assassins. He's already lost. Mm-hmm. He's just he cannot continue here successfully. And uh, so, like I said, we're going to we're pulling Idaho. We're rolling the dice on our relationship with the Fremen. Do we but, know who this uh, troop of Idaho's is? Uh, no, you want to give him a name? Uh, we need- oh, oh <laughs> that's that's the kind of character we're that's getting. That's the kind of character. Um, what's a good space name? Depar. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I don't know. I don't got a good. Space we'll call name. him Louis in uh, in honor of our wine today. Speaking of which, Derek, can you pass that over? Oh, I most certainly can. Thank Mike. you. I guess Duncan Idaho isn't really a space name either. Now you shut your mouth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's got a mountain named after him on Dune. So, the question I have, Mike, knowing Duncan's going to do this task, is can you watch a Bene Gesserit unobtrusively? No, probably not. (laughs) I mean, like, they would notice you, and then you wouldn't really be able to tell if they're doing anything different anyways, because they'd be like, hmm, I'll just do my own thing. Like, not moving or whatever. Well, they do a full read on your every emotion and this and that. Oh. Yeah, yeah. That's... Uh, Leto should know that unequal too. standards. I think. Uh, I think that that's really may- uh, though. Maybe again, that is why we got to bring back Duncan. Of <laughs> like, we need a top-notch guy. For I, I understand that Thufir probably like doesn't realize that because like he knows about the Benny Gesserit, but really not as much as say like Doctor Yui does. Doctor Yui would be able to tell you like yeah. everything you need to know in the situation. Like that won't work. But uh, I think Thufir is just he's also desperate. Ooh, well, yeah, yeah. Desperate and recently chastised. It, I think that's going to be what... I mean, like, he failed. Right. Just, like, plain and simple. Yeah, He yeah. failed. And so he is... Uh, he's... What do I want to say? He's sort of kicking himself he's, here. He's a little impaired. He is. I mean, it's I, already I happening. Think, I right. think that's what we're going to have to start saying. Uh, oh. Fear, he's a little bit impaired right now. Hyder is a genius. Like, his plan is going so <laughs> smoothly. His cheeks are just getting redder and redder. <laughs> oh god, it's so ugly. He's like, I know, Mike, go on. <laughs> He's doing great. So uh we're gonna we're gonna try it. And uh how about <laughs> ask, like, and what about Paul? That's, if not like yeah, for Paul's safety. We should we should put it with the safest person we know, Derek. Oh, Dr. Yui, is that of course? Perhaps we could alert Dr. Yui. <laughs> just made me laugh. That was the like Reading that, I had the same uh, reaction as just like, I should really trust my friends more. And it's like, <laughs> you idiots. Yeah. And uh, like, Lido turns his back on Awa and he's like, I leave it in your hands. Just trust, <laughs> trust all around. Trust it all. I know who to trust. Yeah. God. Uh, and he's like, I shall use your discretion, <laughs> my lord. 
And we're like, all right. So at this point, uh, Leto is, he's ready to take off. And he wants to continue doing the rounds on this floor and stuff. But uh, Thufir stops him before he can quite walk out. And he tells him he's got a film, film clip. clip for him. Yeah. For, so a uh, film clip you should read. So mm-hmm. you read the film clips? Yes. So when it film, uh, he's just thinking like super thin kind of material that it's on. Oh, that, okay. uh, and then Paul, uh, later Paul's going to use something called a projection viewer. Uh, it's kind of like what we saw him, uh, he would have used on the crossing over. But uh, yeah, uh, how it stops him and he gives him a film clip on the uh, Fremen religious practices. Mm-hmm. That uh, he had been asked to compile. And I think he sort of brought that up uh, last time. He mentioned he had the report. Right. Because uh, we talk about uh, the phrase, uh, Liet knows. Just like, God right. knows. And we still don't know, like, what Liet is. It could it could very well just be, like, a religious, like, saying kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But when uh, Stilgar used it on the way out, it seemed just strangely flat. Uh, and without yeah. any sort of, like, semblance or ceremony to it. I'm still unsure of that one. And, uh... Leto, he's not really interested in this film clip right now. And he sort of takes it. He just asks him, like, do it, can this wait? And I, how I, I wonder if in that moment he just feels like, uh, like a, just a, you know, a shamed child where he's just like, oh, but you asked me. And he really wants to tell him about this for some reason. And he's just like, well, they have a legend here. And he sort of sums it up. Uh, this is really. It's like they weren't saying it you. They were saying that said Paul. And even Leto's like, wait, what? Yeah, and maybe that's why like he, like, he knows like you're gonna yeah, want to know he, this. That's now. when he like, does stop. He's like, okay, continue. Mm-hmm. Paul is everything right now. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's the only yeah. thing. And he sort of elaborates on uh, kind of what that opening quote really set up for us pretty well. Uh, yeah, and that there's a legend here, a prophecy that a leader will come to them, child of a Bene Gesserit, to lead them to true freedom. It follows the familiar Messiah pattern, and right there, Bene Gesserit fingerprints. <laughs> The Messiah pattern. Yeah. So, child of a bit. Oh, so that's why uh, it wouldn't have. That's right. It wouldn't have been like uh, Lady Fenring. Mm-hmm. Because. Uh, well, and especially that's why. Why Paul? I right. Guess. Uh, but because it's about the child more so than mm-hmm. about the mother. Although I guess in Lady Jessica's uh, case, well, um, no, particularly they don't uh, specify if the child is um, born here. Oh, or brought here. That's a good point. Just child of the Bene Gesserit from so the world. So they'd be interested in any Bene Gesserit that came. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that they, they she would... already has a young, yeah, is like two stars. Yeah, now, it's like oh one. yeah. <laughs> but I think they would they would have checked her out no matter what. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, now we have the boy. And so yelling this out from what I've yeah. seen, the Bene Gesserit seem like a pretty free people, more or less. So when it says true freedom, where do you think it's going with that? We. Wait, who are free people? Oh, no, uh, the Fremen. Okay. Louis! Uh, (laughs) The Fremen, despite Fremen being short for free men. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, they are not free whatsoever. They are a persecuted population that are stuck on this planet, and they cannot leave. They Remember, so they went on a thing called the Hajj Hajj. to get here. So, yeah, I don't know if we talked about this in our our episodes here, or that was our pilot. That, and I've, like, sprinkled it in a few times. Yeah, so... They start. They were the Zen Sunni, mm-hmm. and they went from world to world to world before they kept sort of getting kicked off. Or... Yeah, they were kind of that chased, persecuted, enslaved, raided. Jeez. However, it's sort of vague because uh, obviously, like Frank never wrote that story out. We never go there, right? 
Um, that is that just pulled from sort of the Dune Encyclopedia? No, it's it's like backstory through the yeah, other books. Yeah, because like Zen uh, was in the back of the glossary, as, yeah. along with a couple worlds that they stopped at. Exactly, yeah. We're, we're going to get to a point where we're going to kind of recollect it. Uh, we'll hear it from the Fremen a little bit. So mm. they, they do describe it in this book that I know well, that's why the process was like right. that. So where they are on this planet now, they ended up on Arrakis before it was all important for the spice. They had like their own little corner of the universe, and now the Imperium sort of like been piling back in on them. And built this whole structure around, over them. I was going to say around them, but over them, really. Because they are just at the bottom of it and mm-hmm. pinned down on this world. And no longer welcome, you know, essentially in the Imperial Basin uh, in those areas. Like, well, the Harkonnens were there. They could, they were pushed into the desert and couldn't have their world. Uh, it's tragic. Hmm. But so, eventually, so they settled on Arrakis because no one wanted Arrakis at the time. Because no one knew about Spice way back when. Yeah, I believe so. And so they had a semblance of right. not freedom, but being left alone. And then when people were like, oh, this spice is great. Like they couldn't kick out the Fremen because the Fremen could live where other people couldn't. It's like like they could go out there to kick them out. Well, I, I think it's more to the point. So like even when the Fremen got here, they're still kind of stuck here. Uh, like it always took them. Uh, they don't say what they paid the guild for it, mm-hmm. but it seemed like they were exacting a pretty high price to move their people and that they were making the sacrifice to the guild as a whole right. so that they could all leave and go on these things because they're not a noble house. They're not like a political right, right. party. Uh, they are just refugees, essentially, moving place to place. And then I think once the Imperium saw its thing here, the Imperium came and much like colonialization through like South Africa or in the Americas, they pushed the indigenous people out. And so, like, the Americas, we just pushed them into the center of America. When, like, the Boers and the English came to South Africa, or South America, I'm sorry. Nope, South Africa. Right the first time. <laughs> okay. Louis! Hey, uh, Louis, we'll blame it all on the wine. Uh, they would push them north. So that is how I'm seeing, like, uh, the Fremen have been pushed from the northern poles mm-hmm. into the deep desert and the southern latitudes. All right. So I guess, yeah, I guess that sort of comes to my question again. It's like true freedom. What do you think that that means to them in the sense of this prophecy? I think true freedom is there's not like a boot on their neck. There's no Harkonnen. There's no Atreides. No one. No emperor? Yeah. No, no presence, at least. Like the emperor can be elsewhere. But like on Arrakis, when we consider this planet, I think they. The Arrakis being belonging to like, the Fremen. Like Naib would be the top. And that is it. We, right. we answer to a Naib and we answer to God. Right. It's like what they, that would be true freedom for them. Yeah. Now I really need to know more about Liet. Like, because, like, if this is a person and they've got two allegiances, then, like, what does that mean? And do you think that has to do with the freedom? Uh, like the we, fact that, like, uh, one person, like, uh, the Naibs have an allegiance to uh, Liet and, uh, Maybe like what true freedom would mean, like eliminating Liet from the equation. And the, the knaves are just like free by their own, like to rule their own tribes. Uh, no, no, I don't think they will. No, that's, that's not what they're going for. Oh. Um, without Liet, though, yeah, I think uh, they didn't originally have like uh, an overriding leader. So they would be like the naive would be the peak of it. And like naives would just ally with one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, this emergence of Liet is sort of new in the Fremen phenomenon as hmm. we know it. But is, when I uh yeah, what are you thinking? Oh, with this, with this chapter, I actually listened to this one first before reading it, mm-hmm. just because it was convenient for me at the time. I was working. Um, I thought it said Lisan Al Naib. <laughs> oh, that that is pretty close. Yeah, so, like, so I was just like, oh, <laughs> what is this Fremen? And then when I read, it, I'm just like, wait a second. <laughs> 
I didn't ever even think of rhyming words, yeah, in like this glossary part. Yeah, you gotta no. watch out for that, I guess. Um, that would have been a tricky one or an awkward conversation if you used that as the glossary game. <laughs> yeah. The Lisan no. on Naib. No, I, uh, yeah. <laughs> I am doing a better job of vetting my words after I read the chapters now. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, so that that is kind of what I think true freedom is going to mean to them hmm. if they ever can get it. Uh, like, and they got to get through this messiah path to get there. And we end up saying that, like, they hope for it. Uh, this is sort of reminiscent. Of, Do you think that's the same hope uh, from the fig tree? They weren't looking at the fig tree. They were looking of. like at the palace, like where Paul may be. Um, well, no, no, no. Uh, they were looking at the fig tree. Okay. They were hopeful, but they weren't hopeful for a fig. They were hopeful. Oh, man. I'm going to leave it right there. Uh, that's it, really cool. It is all kind of bound together. It's coming together. It's coming together. So the, uh, the Duke takes a deep sighing breath and he, uh, he strides at the door and this is where he's gonna he finally is gonna leave now and he begins walking down he's got a lot on his mind mm. he needs to, he tells how like I just need to think how it kind of bids him farewell and he's sort of walking and sort of loses track of where he's going yeah he's just sort of like half saying like Eddie soldiers are walking by mm-hmm. and he ends up making his way all the way back to the conference room from last chapter mm-hmm and uh, looking in there, he sees uh, Paul is asleep, even though Paul told us last time, I'm not tired. Okay, is he asleep, Derek? <gasps> Touche. Because, <laughs> like, you've gotten me a couple no, times now. You're No, you're right. And I, yeah, he's not asleep. He's not asleep? <laughs> no, you're not, you're not fooling me, Paul. You're not asleep. <laughs> you know, you are right, Mike. Third time, I'm not falling for it. <laughs> you haven't slept yet, kid. This kicks so off the chair he's sleeping on get up i know you're just like a four inch dart in his neck like you, you we finally got him <laughs> we finally got him he's had a long day he he probably is like tired and I, he I probably knew. had a ton of adrenaline pumping too oh i thought you were gonna say you he's got to act fast yeah timetables and really uh just side note yui as a traitor just fails upwards um <laughs> He's <laughs> he's remarkably good for not trying. He's, Everyone just he's like, the Mister Bean of Benedict Arnold. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, here's the target. Why don't you hold this poison too? You take Whoa. care of him. Uh, but so Paul is quote unquote asleep. There's a he's got a ditty pack for a pillow and a little guard's robe as a blanket. And uh, Lido, he, he says he so he walks through that room and he softly walks through that one. He doesn't want to wake up Paul. Right. If Paul if is he sleeping. is asleep mm-hmm. and he, he goes out to the balcony and I love uh, I think that always these little interactions. Uh, so there was like a guard out there. Hey, we and, got our we got our compulsory window scene. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you needed it. Yeah. Uh, and but like so this guard, uh, he doesn't recognize him at first until like sort of the lights from the landing field fall. And then he sort of like straightens Whoa! up. I'm like, oh, oh sir. Lito just sort of waves him at ease because uh, he's against. He's got other things on his mind. And yeah, we have a cool little. And actually, I think he's even uh, outside directly because we go to a balcony. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, no, he is because he, he uh, rests his uh, arms on the uh, the metal rail. The little, yeah, the kind of the banister. Just, yeah. I can like I can envision it so vividly too. Yeah, because so as as he's watching out too, so we know uh, we've gone all the way through midnight, uh, and we were talking about like dawn was going to be here a few hours. So at this point, he's standing there and he's watching the second moon come down, and as it dips beneath the shield wall, it goes completely underneath. It frosts the tips of the shield wall and then black. Not just sets that, in. like here. 
I uh, I wanted to like pick out like some things to talk about or like little quotes to have, but like almost every other paragraph on these uh, last two pages just it was just wonderful to read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got like the like, whole thing copied in here. The, uh, starting at pre dawn. Um, uh, yeah, maybe a little before I had it started at the anger shot, but so, yeah, if you got, yeah, I want it. Yeah, pre dawn. Even as uh, before the moon uh, uh, sets, actually, or sure. at, right before it's dipping down, it's uh, a pre dawn hush had come over the desert basin. He looked up. Straight ahead, the stars were a sequined shawl flung over blue-black. Low on the southern horizon, the night's second moon peered through a thin dust haze, an unbelieving moon that looked at him with a cynical light. Ooh. Like, cynical light. Like, And I think the second moon is the one with the Moadib on it. Mm. And the, the little mouse that Paul's going to take is his name. Do you... Okay. I wonder why there's got to be a reason why Frank put the picture of the Muad'Dib on the moon. Do you think there's a reason for the hand as well? Do you think the hand represents something? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, if you're going to put like two images on your celestial bodies, uh, it's going to be part of obviously the myth making for like the friend right. and stuff like that. So, yeah, uh, as to um, what their origin was, I, I bet it's going to be like some myths from the caucus region. Uh, that I'm sure I'll get to in Saviors of Paradise. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be. Uh, maybe not the mouse, but definitely like the hand on the moon or the fist, whatever it mm. sounds like. Something very, very tribal and very warlike. Have you found any other like little snippets in there that uh, made you think about Dune? That, uh... No. Uh, uh, well, I've realized I have to restart my because I, oh. I hit so many. Every couple pages, I'm finding something. So I've uh, gone back and I have a notebook now with it. And <laughs> I'll once I get a, a more impressive list compiled. Um, but like some things, for example, in the very first quote when it says, uh, "Remember to place Moadib in his time in the 57th year of the Padi Chaimbra," mm-hmm. that is straight from it. Uh, is it where, really? Yeah. There's a uh, Iman Shamil. It tells you to remember to place him in his time and his location. Wow. And I was like, oh, so that's wild. There's so many little lines. Uh, I can't wait to line it all up. Uh, so that's my new project on the side. But wow. it, it's going to take me some time to get through to that. So for now, I have nothing to report. Uh, at least no <laughs> new ones that have come across. But yeah, I I love that. That moon looking at him, the cynical. And we know he's starting to be cynical. Like, he's starting to he, crack. I think he has, like, such a uh, dynamic paradigm shift here of his emotions. Because mm-hmm. that cynical light uh, sets. And then, like, he gets the shiver. And then anger shoots through him. Like... That's what, I, yeah. So, Ooh. like you're saying, when that sets and it goes that, that pitch black, it's yeah, this anger shoots through him and he says a chill. And he starts thinking the Harkonnens have hindered, hounded, and hunted me for the last time. Great use of three right there. <laughs> uh, then it gets a little petty of a, they are dung heaps <laughs> with village provost minds. Ooh, started so poetic. I, uh, I feel like Gurney's starting to rub off on him. <laughs> like, really poetic to start and then right down in the shitter. And then, uh, here I make my stand. And he thought, uh, with a touch of sadness, I must rule with eye and claw as a hawk among lesser birds. That is the noble coming out right there. Oh. And I, I think I always forget that side of him. I get lost in wanting to respect him and thinking he's like a paragon of virtue. I don't, I, I, on, so you've read this a bunch of times, yeah. so maybe you have a different view. This is my first time meeting this man. I think that's what the man he wants to be, but his father is so ingrained in him. The, what do you mean? The, like, the paragon of virtue being what he wants to be? Yeah. Yeah, and then this being his father. The, yeah. Like this uh, hawk among lesser birds. Yeah. That's the father speaking through. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. 
Yeah, because uh, like his father, we got the impression like it was about being the Duke, and it's like the station. That's what you are, and you are like it. Uh, kind of uh, overrides any about any aspect of your personality and who like Leto is. Like, no, you are Duke Atreides, so to speak. And uh, unconsciously, he brushed the hawk emblem on his tunic. So, like he he's bound to that. Mm. Oh, a hawk among lesser birds. <laughs> not the. Not to uh, completely destroy the uh, tone here that we got going, but I mean, we did Village Proverbs Minds. <laughs> I don't, I don't know why this came to me. Probably Louis. Louis to blame for everything right now. But I imagine uh, he looks to the sky as it sets, and like maybe some clouds roll in, and this uh, spectral. Whoa, 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 whoa! Clouds of what? I don't know. Maybe dust clouds. Okay, some some ammonia clouds. Yeah, something. Sky, it's not water. I imagine a spectral El Morte speaking in the distance. <gasps> With uh, like um, Mufasa James, in James the sky, Jones just voicing it over later. Later, my son, you must rule as a falcon, <laughs> as a bird among lesser birds. <laughs> or is it like uh, the old duke, but he's on the horns? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Play it as it lands, my son. Play it as it lands. Oh, no. no. <laughs> I'm sure him and El Muerte are like, that's a joke. That's a joke in hell. You know, ah, the horn still lines up with the hole. That's too bad. <laughs> Never mind. I thought I was going to ruin the tone. I got your back, Mike. And so with that dawn, uh, dawn follows that blackness of night. And I like how quick this transition mm. is, uh, which makes sense for how dark it's been all afternoon since we got here. I mean, uh, it's so weird because the sun just basically illuminates the landscape Mm -hmm. because the sky is going to look dark no matter what. So it's just like that's got to be such a weird feeling. Is it just like streaks over? Yeah. Yeah. And there's no nothing really uh, blocking the horizon except for the mountains every now and then. It's got to It probably feels like the land itself is coming alive. That's sort of what it sounds like. Uh, So and we I got this little quote pulled out of it was a scene of such beauty. It caught all his attention. Some things beggar likeness, he thought. He had never imagined anything could be as beautiful as that shattered red horizon and the purple and ochre cliffs. Beyond the landing field, uh, there are actually even flower fields. And uh, I think uh, it's the guard that kind of looks up and goes like, it's beautiful this morning, sir. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, oh, oh, man, I guess we don't even get a sense of how long they've been standing there, too. Yeah. It could, be, could easily be like 30 minutes of the Duke staring out Probably. Uh, over the scene. And the Duke nods, and he's thinking to himself. And this is how I oh, said, you missed the best part of that that paragraph. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I miss? He saw great puddles of red blooms, and running through them, an oh articulate God, tread right. of violet, like giant footsteps. Like giant footsteps. Ah, oh. I, I, you know, I was so excited to get to the, like the Duke gatherer part. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those flowers, and I think those all, uh, they must all bloom as soon as the sun hits them. So this and is, be like a really yeah. short-lived, you know, like it's just there's this tiny bud blooms and then it's over in that kind of 30 seconds. So these these are they can survive here because they are protected by the shield wall. Yeah. And they're they're tended to tended to people. and they collect dew yep. basically. Yeah, uh, I think the dew gathers on the pl- like yeah, yeah, the well, plants gathers co- on the plants. Yeah, the plants collect like, them, and then that's like a really great like resource right there. Like, yeah, yes, super convenient. I mean, like, how much water do you really get back from it though? If you're putting water into the plants, I don't. They must not have to put too much into the plants. It, it doesn't seem. I mean, we're not like uh, explained how this process works, or is it like really renewable? 
my impression would be that these are going to be like the the flowers got to be like just like a weed. And that it's not like a big, you know, like a tulip or right. something like that. Maybe it's just more like uh, a dandelion. Uh, it makes a sea of red. Uh, but the, so the Duke has that thought of, uh, like I said, of this planet. It can be my planet. I can hmm. make this happen. Uh, he says, perhaps this planet could grow on one. Perhaps it could be a good home for my son. And then he sees the human figures moving in those flower fields. And uh, the thing that I love is that they have a strange scythe-like device. So, <clears throat> a dew gatherer. When I imagine, imagined a dew gatherer, I thought like a windmill kind of thing. Sort of like trying to collect like any sort of moisture like from that, uh, the air or the atmosphere kind of thing. I guess not the atmosphere. That'd be way too Yeah, uh, that's like a wind trap. Oh, wind trap. So this is what a dew gatherer is. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think these guys are dew gatherers. Like, mm. that's their job title kind of thing. Oh, I uh, thought it was the name of the device. There, well, there is, like, another device. Um, I told you about one that uses, like, a dew thing. But mm. I think you should just kind of disregard that okay. for now. Uh, that's not really relevant to this. This, I think the reason, all I wanted to point out the scythe is, I think, an, uh, an obvious sign of death. Oh. That's why, that's the only reason I think these are in here. Interesting, because because of that last chapter, he had sort of the the skull visage on him in Paul's eyes. There was a few, yeah. That yeah. was uh, actually the first time we met the Duke. Yeah, uh, Paul's like talking to him. He sees the skull superimposed on him. Right, right. And uh, there was something else death like. Um, I can't remember what it was. In the that last he saw. one, so recently, or in like yeah. one of them. Uh, there was some like kind of allusion to it. Maybe when Jessica was talking with him. Yeah. So I I think that scythe is just there to be uh, another reminder of death is. I hadn't him. even considered that. Haven't we've See, been told I, it the whole well, no yeah, hope well, for the Duke? Well, yeah, I know, yeah. I know that, but like, I didn't. Uh, I guess of, I didn't put two and two together. He's using it as sort of like a, a symbol, a metaphor for his uh, oncoming death. Mm-hmm. I because it's also it's of, also embedded in like a neat sci-fi thing that like is new is. as you're reading it. But like, I really it was uh it was more for the the visage for me, like or uh, being able to imagine what these these uh, gatherers were doing mm-hmm. like i can vividly see like a bunch of dew gatherers working with their equipment their scythe like in the fields at like sunrise yeah yeah like that paints like a beautiful picture to me but like i did i guess i was sort of just caught up with that and sort of i guess how descriptive this entire page is and not really thinking about that symbol and like i feel so foolish for missing that now <laughs> for that, for that yeah. kind of over your head yeah uh but we got we got one f- so could be collected and then uh, he says he says he looks at this and thinks perhaps this planet could grow on one perhaps it could become a good place for my son or good home for my son mm-hmm. as he sort of looks at like this beautiful scenery that's when he looks at these dew gatherers collecting the water and then his mind and- immediately goes to water and it can be a hideous place it's because that resource limitation yeah. that like you have to do this plus he grew up surrounded by water. Yeah, yeah, an extreme for yeah. sure. Um, I mean, so did Paul, to be honest. But, um, I I guess maybe different upbringings too. No, I mean, I think there's a there's a difference between like growing up and then your whole life. Mm-hmm. Like Paul's at a point of transition in his life where I think you anticipate change and like are ready to go onto it. Whereas right. Leto, I think it's like yeah, what you said. He's established himself on Caladan. That's all he's ever known. This is a totally alien world for him. And, uh, yeah, the hideous place is where that chapter leaves us. Who thought? Jeez. And so he's standing in this balcony. Paul is tentatively asleep behind him. Uh, and sort of just looking out with his guard here. And that closes out chapter 13. 
Yeah. Is there anything that we miss going through that, Mike? No, I guess I just wanted to sort of revisit Piter, who's uh, oh, yeah, yeah. hanging out back on Giddy Prime. Mm-hmm. Harco. A, yeah, Harco. Sipping a glass of spice? Spice wine? Sure. Spice wine exists. We know that. I think whatever he's drinking, there's spice in it. Yeah, probably. If it didn't start there, he put some. Bag of potato chips, but it's just spice. So oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, you can lick the spice off your fingers. <laughs> oh, it's like cheese zest. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. But, now, all I can think about is like spiced cheese doodles. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what I, <laughs> or like kettle corn. Oh, they're shaped like worms. <laughs> um, <laughs> so so what, do you, what do you want to consider with Fighter? Uh, let's look at Piter's checklist for a second. Thinking back, what's his plan? Mm. Where are we in the plan? How's it going for Piter? Is it is it working like we expected? Sure. Well, I mean, the big point is obviously we got Jessica dragged in front of Thufir. I think that seems. I think that was case closed. That was sort of the big turning point. It's like mm-hmm. if we can do that, we win pretty much. And I think you and I are we're thinking all three messages kind of. Maybe not planned by him, but I think he uh, counted on at least one of those making through. I don't think he counted on Mapes. Uh, Her, like, reporting it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't think he counted on uh, Margot Fenring. I I think he might have. You think? Oh, because she's Benny Gesserit? Well, remember how he wants a Benny Gesserit for some reason? There's got to yeah. be something he knows about bike, and I don't know for sure, bike. I'm mm. telling you, like this, I, I'm not 100 percent on, but I, I that is why I'm thinking that. Uh, I'll give you the Mapes one. Yeah, that is more of a wild card. Uh, for, I think this was the big one for what the Fremen know, but we also know that Piter wants to sneak into the Fremen, so he is he does know devious right. things about them, right. More than he let on. I mean, I guess we. You say we know, but like I guess we assume about as much as the Atreides assume, and mm-hmm. they are making a lot of bad assumptions right now. <laughs> so I don't really want to like give them the benefit of the doubt on that. <laughs> okay, okay. But like I can I can see why the Harkonnens would put up a million Solari bounty on a Chris knife. So Ooh, yeah, and uh, I guess Piter would be a great candidate for that. So maybe maybe there is a little bit more to that. And I think you mentioned that like Piter knew more about the Fremen than. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's building off of that meeting. Yeah. So, like, why? Yeah, he did want that knife so he could infiltrate the Fremen. Okay. To what end, we're not sure. Um, so that's why I kind of think, like, maybe they put out several notes, some that the Atreides did not get, just so more than one would make it back. Because he knows that getting more than one to them is going to correlate that data and right. give them something. They'll rely on it a little more. They'll. Uh, but too many, it would be like super suspicious. If everyone's walking around yeah. like, by the way, traitor in the Atreides. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> Just a gif of like a thumbs up piter. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then we, we've gotten through the attempt on Paul's life. We've given the Duke a few victories. We're really... I don't think he's actually had many victories. Cause no, the, no, no, because Thufir's routed out like all the cells of oh. uh, Count Harkonnen. So oh, I guess I was, I was still thinking that we had more to do. Mm-hmm. I guess that does make sense. Oh, we've, so we're even further along the plan than I thought. I would say we have uh, pretty much one thing left on that checklist. Oh, Mike. no, really? And that is Sadokar and Harkonnen livery. That's the one thing that they do expect, though. That's the one thing yeah, they have right. They, they know it's going to happen. <laughs> well. So then, what's the point of all of the? Uh... Okay, wait a second. Then, what's the point of Yui? So, what's he going to do? Because he's the traitor. Mm-hmm. His part has yet to be played. Correct. So Yui's going to do something that will probably 
set this either whole thing in motion, like letting the side of car in, or he may even be the one like holding the knife or like poison one of the family members. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I mean, he is a very specifically placed and very curiously placed in the Atreides household. He is so high up, he has access to everybody, unquestioned, unfettered. Yeah, he, he's he got the golden a ticket. It's a little diamond on his forehead. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's got the silver ring. Oh, uh, so like, yeah, that is uh, the Peter DeVry's plan building up. Uh, I yeah, I th- all I see left is Sarkar and whatever Yui's objective is. Oh man! So I, you can feel the vice kind of closing on us. Uh, how are you feeling about Leto's odds? Oh, he's not. I mean, like one, I already know he doesn't make it, but two, like. Yeah, this is just not going in his direction. And we can plainly see it. He can plainly see it. I up until, you know, the staff meeting, he's I felt I always feel like he's going to get through that one. And then these next two chapters kind of um, like, oh, he's slipping. So you said there is a a dinner scene somewhere in this book, right? Yes. I feel like that's going to be like the quintessential scene where like everything hits the fan. Because like it just feels like very uh, cliche almost for me at this point. Like think when you like uh, think about like uh, Game of Thrones with like the red wedding kind of thing. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. But like this was obviously predated. But I'm just saying like that's me yeah, thinking yeah, yeah. of like Cause Act One, Act Two, Act Three. That's gonna be the scene where everything happens. Yeah, when we do all this setup and then we get everybody in a room, we sit them down together. You go, yeah. wait, wait a second. I already know everyone. Why are we all here? Something's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe. Uh, well, it's a dinner scene. Oh, maybe he poisons them. <gasps> Chamas! Book over! (laughs) You got it! (laughs) Wouldn't that be so lame if that was it? If he just chamas everyone? Well, they've got poison snoopers and everything. And, okay, so, poison snooper. Mm -hmm. Uh, Did we touch on that? Uh, No, not really. We've uh, we've only been told of the one that Jessica has in her room that uh, Leto put there as, like, uh, courtesy. All right, so then... Do you want to know just like what is it, it is? Oh, or? wait, is a poison snooper like the chair dog? Is it like a living weird <laughs> thing <laughs> that comes out and tastes yeah. <laughs> this is It's just it a is, chair dog with a nose. <laughs> it's not. It is like uh, an elaborate scanner. Um, it's always described as like uh, it's got a bunch of arms that hangs over. They usually like hide it in a chandelier or something. And uh, it just, they probably like. You got a bunch of arms? Yeah, they're like little like uh, insect arms. I think like each one scans or senses for something different. And it's sort of just like above your food is checking out all your food on the table. You know, like those, uh, those like uh, sensor droids in Star Wars, mm-hmm. like on Hoth, like the big like uh, it's like a, like a pretty much a black oh, yeah, yeah, head yeah, with like word. all the like droopy arms. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I kind of imagine that. Yeah, yeah, but smaller, smaller, a little more streamlined, and like you'd put it in a dining room. Okay, but yeah, I think it's enough that if you see it, it's kind of like you know it's there and it's weird. Yeah, okay. Uh, and it seems like everyone's always like a little off-putting. Well, by you know it. what? That's fine with me. At least it's not a living <laughs> yeah, living <laughs> bean bag on. that likes to just sort of breathe. You know, clearly you're a pre-God Emperor kind of guy. <laughs> Wait, what? You don't join me on this chair dog venture. <laughs> I'll just leave you in Suspenser World, Mike. You don't ever have to meet a chair dog. Suspenser World sounds great. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go hang with Vlad. <laughs> yeah. Literally, up from the ceiling. <laughs> Um, what else do we got, uh, from that plan then? Anything else we want to piece together from that? No. Um, the Sardar come in. 
Mm-hmm. Does Zardokar take prisoners? Ooh, not. Uh, yeah, yeah, rare occasions. Okay. They're... I was going to say, how is Piter going to get Lady Jessica if the Sardaukar come oh, in oh, killing th- everything? That would be like an order. Uh, oh, okay. Like, you know, if they're told to do something, then yeah, they're going to do it. Okay. Otherwise, uh, they will take very, very few prisoners. Uh, you kind of got to be selected by them. So Wait a second. So if Piter had a Chris knife mm-hmm. and he would infiltrate the permit, do you think Piter's on Arrakis? Right now? Yeah. Uh, he very well could be. Or do you think he'd just, like, drop in with a, a guild ship, like, once the go-ahead is given on the plan? Um, what, you think he's, like, here to supervise something, or? Maybe. Could be. I, I wouldn't, uh, like. Well, I just, I feel like Piter might be a, a hands-on kind of mentat, because he is so, like, bloodthirsty. He's capable, but he, I mean, he's all about his own life. True. He's, he, he doesn't risk his own life. Uh, so no, I can tell you he is with the Baron. Uh, he's not on Arrakis right now. Okay. Uh, and they are doing their thing, scheming on the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, doing a little dance and everything's going according to plan. I'm sure he's dancing when he's told to. Uh, <laughs> that is what Baron's just do, sort of Piter. bobbing up and down in the air. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not here yet. Right. Uh, they are scheming and plotting. He isn't, uh, going down there, like trying to find the Fremen or trying to get a Chris Knight. There <laughs> really aren't enough Harkonnens, I think, on World. Excuse me. Uh, enough Harkonnens on world to like uh, secure his presence. Like it'd be really likely the Atreides could capture him or something at that point. Because uh, like I said, we got only a few of their cells are left behind. Hmm. So if uh, if you got anything else, Mike, I'll let you take the thing. Otherwise, I got our Duncan Idaho storyline. Tell me about Duncan. Need to go. Because yeah, we got it. We've uh, I put him off for an episode, and obviously I want to apologize for that. So Duncan Idaho. Now, the Dune Encyclopedia is where this is mostly coming from. And I actually came across a bit of a discrepancy with our Halleck entry. Oh, really? Yeah. So some years don't line up. Okay. They're off. Uh, so I don't know what to attribute that to. Clearly, two authors did not talk to each other. And, uh, oh, they were probably pop- written by different people. Yeah, yeah. No, they most certainly were. Ah. Um, so like the... Um, would it be some context clues are correct the events that happen are in the right place the years that it says they happen are wrong and uh, this is not exclusive to the encyclopedia though in chapter 15 coming up we're going to get to an error that Frank Herbert made Oh, where the princess Irulan mentions her age and the age of Shaddam while looking at this picture and that doesn't match up to the age in the appendix of Dune Oh. So that's a cool, that's a little error that is completely in Dune, enclosed in the first part. That's kind of cool. Um, is this in the opening quote, then, if it's uh, nope, by Irulan? Nope. It's, uh... Wait, are we going to meet Irulan? No, no, it is just a quote from her in that chapter. Like, the head quote... That's what her. I was asking. If it's from, like, the quote by Irulan. Okay, I'm sorry, I, I just confused the order of how you... Oh. The kind of, like, what was labeled what, then. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> no, I think we're on the same page, okay. talking about different things, um... But it's just, yeah, the opening chapter quote in 15 is one from Irulan, and she talks about her house and, like, her dad. And she mentions these years. And uh, then if you look in the appendix, it doesn't work out. Uh, the math on it is off by a few. So, for Duncan, we're going to have this problem. Uh, though the encyclopedia, the, it is meant to be, like, thousands of years in the future. So, the historical logs could just be a little off. There could be an error that some historian wrote down along. That's how we're going to accept it and uh, roll into it. 
And uh, Duncan is known as Duncan the First, and he is 33 years old. Oh, he's pretty young. Yeah, he's also Duncan Prime. <laughs> Duncan Prime. I've told you many times, this is kind of a spoiler for the rest of the series, but we bring back Duncan in every book, and uh, he is revived. Wait, as, every book? Every book. Uh, like as a character or like mentioning him? As a character. We bring him back from the dead when we need to. Wait, it is like the what? only plot device that I think Herbert does at a fan service. Wait, you said this spans what, thousands fi- and thousands like 15, of years. 15,000 years and, and we, Duncan just keeps coming back. So we start cloning Duncans. And so like uh, <laughs> there's a whole section of the encyclopedia that's like different Duncan Idaho's with like years next to him. So the first Duncan we call Duncan the first or Duncan prime. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? So none of that matters for Dune, obviously for the book we're going through, but I just, I got to share that with you. Uh, I think it's great. And so for historians looking back, we call him Duncan the first, uh, Ridiculous. So spelt out, not like with a one on it. Uh, but anyway, he is a sword master of the Ganaz. We know he is the war master of the Atreides with our boy, Gurney Halleck. And uh, he was actually born on Caladan, Mike, to lower class folk. Oh. Yeah, he is a normal person. <laughs> we finally met one. <laughs> He's from Caladan, too. Yeah. Interesting. So he doesn't have a lot of that rage sort of uh, driving him. Uh, what do you mean? Like, Gurney has a very real reason for, like, Well, Mike, let's Lano. finish the story. Okay, okay. Um, I think you'll find they have okay. more in common I'll, than you think. I'll be quiet. I'm here for the ride, Derek. <laughs> Tell You're like, oh, everything was hunky-dory then. Yeah. <laughs> Tell your tale. <laughs> Sorry. So, born to lower-class parents. Um, I assume he probably just grew up on a beach. Uh, it seemed like it was a beach world. It's probably pretty nice. And routinely, the Atreides, they review their populations. Uh, so they kind of go through and everyone gets assessed. And I guess that was when they found out that Duncan was just really skilled. You know, he had really fast reflexes, mm-hmm. strong guy. And uh, so he qualifies on whatever their standards were. And they apprentice him out to the house of Ganaz. So this is that sword ma- swordmaster house. And Duncan, from the get-go, is a skilled and apt pupil. His reflexes are fast. He learns really quickly. And uh, they kind of like fast track him on the training there. He's going to have all the skills and um, prerequisites to be a sword master. And by the time um, the War of Assassins sets in that we're in right now with the Atreides, uh, it says that Duncan had far outstripped his contemporaries and his teachers as a sword master. Oh, he's just like prodigy above and beyond. But it also says Gurney Halleck was better with a blade. So that, uh, I don't know if that's just further props for Gurney. Uh, though it seemed to me like, like I thought Idaho was supposed to be the best of within the house, especially. Um, even Paul kind of made it seem like his moves were the harder ones to emulate uh, versus Gurney. Mm-hmm. So that was weird, but nonetheless, uh, it just threw that in. And uh, so after his graduation, though, kind of going back to when, so he's on Ganaz, he's left uh, the Atreides, he gets uh, swept up in a war of assassins between House Ganaz and House Moritani. Those names are gonna, Moritani is gonna pop up a little bit more. Ganaz sounds super familiar. Um, it is always uh, that first quote where we talk about uh, the teachers of Paul Atreides. We mentioned uh, Duncan Idaho, Swordmaster of Ganaz. Oh, okay. So that would have been the first time you read that. And uh, he just, uh, he kind of buries himself in this combat and joins this war because he was not uh, selected to go back to the Atreides. 
So oh. I don't know if that meant they had to like kind of re-recruit him or choose to bring him back, but for some reason he doesn't get to go back there. And so he fights with the Ganas, uh, the house that trained him. And he's he's a he's a badass man. And he's fighting off this war. This house uh Grumanon is attacking them. Okay. And uh, to get the royal family, so the Ganaz royal family, they're escaping. Duncan's patrol is one of the last patrols helping them out. Mm-hmm. Everyone in Duncan's team is killed. He oh. holds off the last guys with his back to the door so the family can make it out and to safety. And Duncan, he kills 18 people. before By himself. By himself before he is brought down by a hunter seeker. Oh, now, what? It was a specific hunter seeker. Uh, a soporific hunter seeker. How's that different from a regular one? Soporific is something that puts you to sleep or renders you unconscious. Oh, mm. so this is Doctor Yui's trank dart. Pretty yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, automatic once yeah. it gets you. Uh, and then the encyclopedia even says craven usage of a the hunter seeker. Mm. So just like this coward who could not fight Duncan Idaho has to put him to sleep. <laughs> and uh, they do that because they want to capture him. Like this guy, he is an amazing warrior. We're taking this one alive, right? And so the Grunaman. Um, arrest him, bring him up, and uh, they are thinking, like, you know what? We could keep this guy as a teacher for our troops. We'll just, like, we'll beat it, you know, beat it out of him, make him a docile as can be, and this is going to work out great. So how do you think that went for them, Mike? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you don't put Duncan in a corner. <laughs> so How many more did he kill? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I don't got a list. I'm sure there were some. So his constant escape attempts, mm. his disruption of all their forms of imprisonment, no matter how elaborate they got, and his leadership in three slave revolts forces the Grimanon to be like, we're done with this. This is not <laughs> worth it. This is not working out. And they sell him to the Harkonnens. Oh, no. Probably for dirt cheap, just a batch of slaves or something. But, oh, it must have been heaven once you got I Idaho. take back everything I said about you, Duncan. Yeah, <laughs> we're going right back to where Gurney went. So at this point, it's the year 10180. Okay. Oh, oh, for, oh yeah. Pretty. I mean, he's only like thirty-three, right? So, uh, twenty-two. Uh, yeah. yeah so thirty-three now right, right. in uh, the story. So he's twenty-two at this point. And the, I was just thinking, like, oh, that's super recent. But like, yeah, it would have to be, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's, he's a pretty young guy. Yeah. Uh, and this is like without spice affecting kind of his life, like mm-hmm. the others. Like he's just your normal dude. Oh yeah, because he couldn't afford it. And uh, so the Harkonnens, uh, he's no more complacent. He's just as incorrigible as before. And so they sent him to the mines of Hagel. And I've told you about Hagel courts before. Yeah. We talked about that. So the throne yeah. is. So the Hagel mine, Hagel, I believe, is the planet too. It's a, it's a minor chome fife. So the Harkonnens have it. Yeah. And it was largely exhausted by Shaddam I. <laughs> On his throne? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, maybe because so, so they exhausted this whole mine, right? Mm-hmm. In the reign of Shadon the Fourth, he was only on the throne for seven years. So, like, <laughs> what? It's not that long. Um, I should also tell you. I mean, you know what Shadon we're on now? Uh, we're on Shadon the Fourth, and it's the year of the fifty-sixth. It's the fifty-seventh year of the party. Yeah. But I meant more uh one oh one ninety one. Like the actual year. <laughs> I thought you were okay. Hey, no, you were doing good though. You were right <laughs> on it. I'm like, Irulan would be proud. <laughs> you read her book. Thanks, man. <laughs> but um what I mean to emphasize is um so that's Shaddam the fourth in the year one oh one ninety one. Shaddam the first is in the year five hundred forty nine. 
Whoa. So, wow, they're so old. Oh, so that mine was emptied. In seven years. In in seven years, almost 10,000 years ago. (laughs) And so... The Harkonnens are running it, and uh, the only way you can turn a profit is that you like you operate it at minimal cost, no safety regulations, like dig, dig, dig. And uh, there are still some gems though, uh, how wherever the hell they are in there. And uh, Duncan survived for three years in that mine. Oh my god! Uh, there's a sixty percent death rate for the slaves that go in. So much like Gurney Halleck, he's a survivor and he makes it through. And this is where we get to our major contradictions. And we got to kind of reference back to our Gurney Halleck story. Okay. So Gurney Halleck told us that in 101-82, a recruit named Duncan Idaho fought his first battle in the Grumanon Wars. But for us, if he was in that um, mine for three years, it would have been until 101-83. Someone didn't do their homework. Yeah, especially considering that in 101-84, he gets promoted to War Master of the Atreides. So, <laughs> curious how this is going to get worked out. Um, because in this Duncan storyline, uh, we have in uh, 101-84, so that same year I said he got that promotion. Uh, this is kind of cool. This is how Duncan gets mm-hmm. out. Through a series of uh, bribes with hoarded gems that he had hidden and tucked away. Oh, skimming a little something. A little something. Doing it the Harkonnen way. And uh, seducing the uh, Harkonnen governor's daughter. <laughs> that's Duncan Idaho. <laughs> that's Duncan Idaho. He, uh, all that does, that's just to get a word back to Caladan. He then takes the daughter and they run off and they uh, there's a large belt on uh, Hagel. And that it's just like a big open field. Like um, mm. usually they're measured by like their altitudes. This, just, this must be like endless green fields on mm-hmm. this planet or something. Once you're out of the mine. <laughs> and it, <there> must, <laughs> it sounds like a great place. Yeah. Heavenly. So they run. Uh, it better be. They're out there for six months. Oh my gosh. On the run, uh, before a commando group from the Atreides comes. And uh, <gasps> guess who's comm- running that one? It's Gurney Halleck. It's Gurney Halleck. Uh, he lands down, he rescues our boy Idaho, and they return to Caladan, and Idaho is welcomed as a hero. Um, I should tell you, all this stuff we know about Idaho are songs the troubadours are going to sing decades from now. That is awesome. So, Wait, what happened to uh, the daughter? Did she come along? Oh, yeah, so she did come with him. Uh, interesting, yeah, he says it escaped with her. No idea. They must. They were out there six months. You know I what? hope he brought her along. Yeah, but relationships forged under <laughs> tough circumstances <laughs> like that, Mike, they're never going to work out. Uh, six months, Derek. Yeah, and they had a great time, and then they went their separate ways. Jessica and Leto, uh, it was like three hours. <laughs> Idaho's a different man entire. Uh, so let me keep going. He's not a paragon of virtue. <laughs> oh, oh. This guy, he, he, uh, he will just talk your pants off, Mike. This is Duncan Idaho. Okay. He, he is basically a walking saber. That's right. Right, right, right. Uh, they always like, actually, they always use goats in like the description of his hair and stuff. Really? Yeah. It's always like that black goat goat uh, hair. Or I think it even be for his uh, goatee. Interesting. Uh, so I think that's got to be like a satyr kind of thing because he has that sort of uh, aspect to him. Ah. He, he is, he's, he's very human. Uh, so Duncan, at this point, once he gets home, uh, that cost to rescue him was huge. Oh. Sending just to get him and just to bring him back. And that... Uh, yeah, because, oh, yeah, you have to pay for every person going on a, a ship. 
Sure, that's it. We're paying the guild. We're paying the guild to do it secretly. It's a raid on a, a Harkonnen world on a Harkonnen. Did fight. they actually raid the the mines and everything, or did no, they no, just I think pick he them up? Just it sounds like he just went oh, to pick them up, wow. and that it was all spent on that, and that that was a reflection of how valuable Duncan is, and how great of a swordsman he is, and his tactician, all these skills he's learned and accrued through hardship and strife, wow. much like Gurney Halleck did. Uh, however. Uh, so we got Duncan. He's known just for personal integrity and morality. Mm-hmm. It's going to be why we clone him later on. Uh, <laughs> these are things that always come with him. And uh, he was never an ideal diplomat, but so, he was ideal for the Fremen. Yeah, sorry, you got to. No, I was, I was just I was thinking like, uh, what's the morality of cloning in this time frame, in this uh, day and age? Um, the Bene Gesserit hate it. They think it should only be done naturally, mm-hmm. uh, any procreation. That's also right. why they won't create their own babies. Like, they won't self, uh, to that self-impregnation. Oh, right. Right. Even that's, like, across the Because, like, you can't really forge genetics at that point. Otherwise, they would have had Kwisatch Haderach day one. They did, though. Wait, what? Uh, well, the, the Bene Tylaxlu have made a Kwisatch Haderach genetic. Oh, well, yeah, you said that. Yeah, and then he killed and himself he... immediately because <laughs> he could see the future. <laughs> and he saw what the Bene Tylaxlu were going to do with him. So, yeah, no, you can skip the line. Wow. Uh, but so for that one, he saw what the Bene Tylaxlu were going to do with him. Oh. That's why he destroyed himself. But they did it. They, like, they, I would love to have like, a little the side story on that individual. But I don't know if it exists anywhere. Next book. Oh, oh, it's actually in the, the canon it's, of the series. Yeah, yeah. It's mentioned in, oh. the, in uh, Dune Messiah. I thought there was like an encyclopedia like blurb. Oh, no, that one is straight oh. up. Oh, yeah, yeah. They, okay, Derek, now it. we have to do Messiah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know, Mike. You've already got the next six years pegged, don't you? Yeah. What have I signed up for? <laughs> it's either you or my next co-host. <laughs> no. It's happening. We're still using your living room, though. Oh, God. Just so you know. Um, but if I can uh, put us back on this uh, example of him, uh, he's not the ideal dipl- diplomat, Duncan Idaho, mm-hmm. but he is ideal for the Fremen, which is where we sent him. And so they gave us a nice little list of uh, kind of... Um, Traits of his, if you will. Okay. And it's uh, Duncan's morality, pride, ruthlessness, loyalty, prowess, and fondness of the truth were a perfect match for the puritanical, rigid, and brutally direct Stilgar. Dang. Like that that seems about right from what I think we saw. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the encyclopedia made the point of saying, like, uh, that pivotal moment of just what we saw in mm-hmm. the meeting where Duncan is the one who introduces Stilgar, gives Leto the Chris knife, and prevents the riot from breaking out when Stilgar spits on that table. That's true. Those like One man is responsible for that, and maybe nobody else could have filled that role as equally. Though I'm holding out possibly Gurney Halleck. He does have that pride thing, and he's that noble, but... Oh, I want Gurney That's to be interesting. Away. So... And then the uh, the book takes a little you- twist and gives us sort of uh, this human aspect of Duncan. Okay. Duncan, again, like, he is also, he's unreflecting and, and imprudent. Uh, fre- uh, frequently at the result of forces he could not understand. Wait, what? It's just sort of like, yeah, a little enigmatic note on just what's going on in his head. Huh. Uh, there's a lot to Duncan. Like, Duncan, he's susceptible. He has weaknesses. Um, I told you he gets drunk at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see that unfold. 
And a few of the particulars they brought up are going to happen later in the book. So I didn't want to kind of tell you them now. Okay. Um, but just giving you an idea, like, so this is going to be a character we'll see that has more flaws, I think, than the other people. And okay. And isn't embarrassed by them. You know, he's not trying to be the Duke. You said he's, like, more human than, mm-hmm. like, most yeah. people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I think that's just going to be how we see him dealing with people. And uh, he's also, like, kind of, a, I think, our only male sedu- uh, seducer we've seen so far. Oh, yeah, he's I guess kinda, you're right. He's kind of on par with Bene Gesserit in that level. Uh, All right. So he's he's a fine-looking gentleman. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a good-looking guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just, like, just cr- dark black hair, always Chris, muscly mm-hmm. dude. Cool guy. All right. No guitar though. I don't know. I don't know what his. I don't know what his game is. What is? What's his line? Uh, we know what's how Gurney's, line? Gurney's pretty easy and straightforward. So, though. do you think that? Um, we talked briefly about uh, how he uh, seceded uh, Gurney as the weapons master. Mm-hmm. Do you think war master as the war? Ma- Why do I say weapon master? I don't know what that's from, but it sounds good. Okay, the war master. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you think? That decision was made. Well, obviously, it was made by the Duke. Do you think it was made? One, because Gurney's like, sure. Like, sounds good to me. Like, I could just get to, like, hang out, play my battle set. I still get all paid. <laughs> yeah. I still get all the royalties, all that jazz. Do you think that was also to sort of help inspire the troops? That, like, I, I even like how someone... he's getting royalties for fighting yeah. to play songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but do you think that was, like, in part to inspire the troops and sort of put an example out there? And make Duncan an example that like anyone can come from the most humble of origins and make it to the top. Ooh, that's a that's a good one. Uh, we did we just met that propaganda man that yeah. the Duke has, so we know that's part of the Atreides. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, this would be a good story. And it's not like he's just doing it as like a like shadow uh, battle master. Oh, weapon master. Wait, was it? <laughs> battle master yeah what yeah. war master war master oh derek <laughs> louis you are just a walking thesaurus <laughs> right now i'm a hot mess derek uh, but uh <laughs> you remember <laughs> what i was talking about you're saying <laughs> damn it um oh i don't really remember uh yeah of uh, if duncan war master oh if gurney the reason why he retired uh oh. do i think he did it just for music or oh. was it kind of so that oh. they could do this propaganda story yeah i was saying it's not like the, the just qualifications yeah of, it's uh, not like it's just like him being as like sort of a uh like shadow uh, no, uh war master because he has the skills obviously right like, no he it's not like he's uh not actually doing the job he's not, right he's not a figurehead uh he excelled and was just noticed rising through the ranks and then put on that accelerated course on, I think, on a track of merit. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, everything he did is because, yeah, this guy's faster than anybody else. Like, this guy uh, is more inventive in some manners. Like, we have uh, we know Paul is sort of like, he, Paul can't emulate Duncan's fighting style. He could sort of build off of it, but, like, that is the most difficult one for him to match and mm. to go with this feline movements of Duncan Idaho. Uh, so Duncan, I think he's just a natural warrior. And then happened to be kind of right place, right time. And his rescue for Duncan, uh, he looked at that as uh, sort of seeing his life in the Atreides and his resurrection in the Atreides. Because he started here and they brought him back. Uh, And so he is unending loyalty to the end of days from this point on. And and speaking of resurrection, and again, and And again, again, and again. Ooh, eventually it gets on him. Uh, (laughs) Does he wait? Does he remember each life? Um, no, but each Duncan, well, he, Duncan always remembers the first Duncan. 
Oh, they don't remember the consecutive Duncans because they're then, all they're uh, all probably cloned off of the DNA the, from the prime the original prime Duncan. Whoa! And uh, they each learn though about the other Duncans. Oh, I wouldn't be okay with that. Most Duncans are not okay <laughs> with that. <laughs> we, we call that the Duncan principle. It's just not. <laughs> oh God! Well, uh, that brings me, Mike. Uh, that's the end of my Duncan story. That is so cool, though. I'm glad we finally got to meet the man. Um, I for the longest time, I I was a little unsettled by how much closer we were to the bowl than we were to Tim the Ward, did, did I put a little gap between <laughs> yeah. them? Ooh, got me some space a little between bit. them. and the rest? <laughs> but uh, Duncan, he's a cool guy. Duncan, I like him. He's great. He's gonna be complex. He's gonna stick around for a bit. And like I said, every other book will have Duncan to look forward to. I like to see him fight. He is a. He's I would a, actually love to see the description. Actually. Because we haven't really seen Gurney fight other than the mock battle. Yeah. And I know he was, you know, I mean, he was fighting, I, but I, he wouldn't have I done more than a scratch. That, that's the only fight we've seen. That's the only real yeah. action, uh, except for the Hunter Seeker. Yeah. That's so kind of picked up. So. I would love to see them, uh, the descriptions of them fighting and how they differ and how uh, Frank goes about coloring each one's movements. Nice. Um, I will tease for you. We will watch Duncan fight Sardaukar. Oh, yes. We will Wait, watch Oh, that. I bet he actually does pretty well. He definitely kills one. <laughs> At least one. That's, that's, that's a Guaranteed big thing, you. though, I bet. That's but, a big I mean, thing. That's, a, that's a small, I think, thing to say after he already killed 18 people at the door oh, it, it, when he graduated. Um, yeah. Cool. Oh, my God. That was a young pup, Duncan. Ooh. And we've come a long way since then. Um, so I have a cool little uh, fun fact. Oh, you look something else up? Well, because of Jessica's, uh, the potential of her, her like heritage coming into play mm-hmm. when uh, Thufir was like talking about that, uh, I decided to apply for a 23andMe kit. Okay. So I got that because I want to see what my heritage was like. So I did that, sent it back in. If just because you write Jessica's name on it doesn't mean they can tell you about <laughs> her, Mike. <laughs> well, you never, I, just, I was just curious because like you never know who might be in your ancestry. And guess what it told me? What did it tell you? It told me it's time for the glossary game. <laughs> I just want you to know I let you have that. Yeah, line. I know. Like, yeah. All right. All right. I'm going along with this journey. <laughs> we get to a certain point in the show where you're just like, all right, it's coming. Uh, <laughs> like, what's it going to do? Uh, I know you oh, know, oh, but thank oh, you for letting me have it good. anyways. And if I could grade it, I'm going to uh C plus. A C plus? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's passing. Oh. Pretty good. I can do better than that. You, oh, you can? Look under your seat. <laughs> oh. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that. Let's try that next time. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> um, so, uh. Yeah, Glosser game time. Last oh, week, I last week. I did pretty well for myself. I, say, I don't recall it going well. Oh, we're at 14 to 12 in my favor currently because we're on chapter 13. Okay. Yeah, um, 26 words. Yeah. I hit you with a couple stumpers. I have gotten, uh, I've stumped you four times in a row now. Phew. I'm, I'm, I'm losing it. Yeah. Uh, I think the golden age has passed. Well, you, you say that, but here's the thing. Like, I'm going to come to a point where I get rid of all my good words and then they're just going to be a lot of easy ones. They're just like, oh, yeah, why'd you even try that, Mike? It's like, well, I don't have any options, Derek. That was from chapter two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is Dune? <laughs> um, so I, I'm just, I'm trying to write it as hard as I can. Last week, okay. I think maybe, maybe it was a little uh, petty of me. I did try and choose some pretty hard ones. <laughs> what, what were the two? Because I, I do not remember for the life of me. Uh, yeah, so the two were uh, Kerem, which was a brotherhood of hate. Say it one more time. Uh, Kerem. Okay. Um, C-H-E-R-E-M. 
It is a brotherhood of hate, usually for revenge. Mm -hmm. And I'm not sure what the context of it is in this book, but and that one was that like a, a Hebrew word? Um, yes, I think so. For like, uh, it was like the exiles, or yes, 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 yeah. Um, I don't have that little blurb on this uh, on my notes for today. Okay, yeah, it's just yeah. that, that triggered something. Like a kinder yeah. little side conversation. All right, what was the second? Like word? it was like ultimate excommunication, pretty much. Right. Um, the other one was Ijaz. Ijaz. Oh, the uh, rugby captain uh, from Pakistan. <laughs> yes, but that's not the that's not the one we were talking about though. It wasn't rugby. It was cricket. Oh, I knew it was a weird sport that I don't play. <laughs> we don't know the rules too. Oh, rugby is the one I know the weird positions of then. Oh, like the uh, what's it called? Like the it's a hooker, a stripper, and uh, something else. What? It's in rugby. Yeah. Those are three positions in rugby. I don't know the third one, but it was it was also sexual like that. Uh, that made <laughs> okay. it hilarious. I don't. I, um, I guess I just have no desire to learn. I don't know. I'll look it up at some point. But uh, do you remember what the actual Ijaz in the context of Dune is? Oh God, no, no, <laughs> no, Mike. Just cricket. Yeah, <laughs> and you couldn't even remember that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> but it is prophecy. C minus. C minus. <laughs> C -minus. Prophecy that by its very nature cannot be denied. Immutable prophecy. Cool, immutable. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so I think we're going to see, honestly, in this case, that might be stuff what we learned in this chapter and the little uh, quote in the beginning by Irulan. We might see that in Paul um, because the prophecy is immutable uh, because of the fact that no one else can try and imitate it. No one could say the same words. But uh, Paul and Jessica... Uh, they both have Benny Jesuit training, so they'll be able to be more in line with the mind and thinking of the missionary protectiva, the ones that sort of implanted and created this prophecy. Uh, so Paul would not have missionary oh, he wouldn't protectiva. Have, he would, yeah, yeah, he wouldn't have that training. Because that is from like the library. So Lady Jessica probably will, though. Yeah, yeah, she's got it in because part of the missionary protectiva training is also um, they give you what's called the abad or the adab. And it is like uh, they it's like a memory trance. OK, so literally like, you know, things that you don't know, you know, because they're sort of just planted in you that when this trigger word is said, it will call up all these thoughts and memories and like put them in the right order in your head. Like so a hypnosis like, kind of thing. Yeah. To just to put you in the right frame of mind. And you're all of a sudden like, oh, oh, I do know that entire book. And you can kind of say out whatever you need to say. OK. Or you feel just what the correct next action. is. Gotcha. Um, so then, yeah, I think maybe that might apply to Lady Jessica then more so than Paul mm -hmm. and her being able to like, uh, speak about the prophecy in the same way that like the, um, I guess the prophet would have said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, as far as like prophets go, uh, Paul's gonna, he's gonna end up fulfilling that a little bit more okay. than Jessica too. So like, I, maybe well, I was using the prophet in, yeah, in the term of like the Benny like, and building off of like yeah. kind of what you know, but I'm thinking like you're kind of dead on with your first inclination yeah. of that, like to assign it to Paul as our protagonist, uh, it's going to carry more weight with it. Right. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, I thought that was kind of cool. Sort of relating what we know now back to that word. Mm, yeah. But, uh, we got, uh, two new words here for you. And I got to double check in my book to see that I spelled this right. And I might have. It's just, <laughs> there's a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, consonants in weird places, Derek. So bear with me. <laughs> Wait a second. Really? <laughs> I didn't use one vowel. Huh. <laughs> it's really weird. All right. Oh, no, I spelled it right. Okay. Excellent. Well, I'd love to hear you pronounce it. Oh, God. <laughs> <Derek>. <laughs> Louis. <laughs> 
All right. <clears throat> Uh, I may I may pronounce this wrong. I didn't actually look up the origin for this. It okay. may not have one, um, but it's it's Tisla. One more time. Is Tisla? <gasps> it's I S T I S L A H. Okay, I I think I know it's Tisla. Okay. Um, I, another word. Uh, I think I read. Can you spell it one more time. I S T I S L A H. Yeah, I, I think I just always um, read the ending as S-H, like a lash, like his, oh, his to lash, which is not what's spelled. That's not, sure. not what it is, but um, yeah. But is this one a, um, uh, it comes, brings me up, uh, I want to say like Brutal Necessity comes to mind. Brutal Necessity. Brutal Necessity. Um, a, so it's like a, a decision somebody has to make like for the tribe or for the people um, that's like different, like brutal necessity. Like it's a oh, so li- like a hard choice. Like we yeah, have yeah, to like do- life or death. Oh. Like uh, we either do this and we have water or there is no water for a week kind of deal. Gotcha. Like maybe we have to kill uh, like Steve and uh, Steve. You're not. Gonna <laughs> what about Louie? No, Louie. Louie's coming. <laughs> Louie's good. Keeps the tongues loose. <laughs> Keeps the fly, the spice flowing. Uh, but yeah, I, the brutal necessity is what comes to me, and I think mind. I think like a decision for the tribe. All right. Um. Well, great mentent trance there, Derek. Uh, that's a point for you. Oh, my dry spell is over. Mike. <laughs> <laughs> you said the how, rain has how come. <laughs> it's been a Virgea for so long, where the rain doesn't touch the ground. I've, oh, what's the sand rain? That's all I've gotten. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, it doesn't count if I can't remember the words. Though. <laughs> <laughs> it ruins the point of the glossary game, really. Oh boy! So uh, the definition oh. from the the, uh, the glossary is a rule for the general warfare, usually a preface to brutal necessity. General what? Uh, a rule for the general. Wa- well, oh, I said warfare. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought you said warfare, oh. Louis. <laughs> My God, (laughs) a rule for the general welfare. Welfare. (laughs) Thank you, Derek. Usually a preface to brutal necessity. You you hit it spot on. Well, brutal brutal necessity stood out. Okay, so yeah, and then like the yeah the try being general. Mm -hmm. Awesome one for me. I'm impressed you got that one. And it's because I thought of a different word. <laughs> really? Well, Ishtalash. That's <laughs> oh, that's right. It's, uh, ish, say, well, you that's don't know. The, not, we'll have to find the pronunciation. Ishtalash? Italash? Um, I don't know if the I-S-T is pronounced with an, like, uh, an ush kind of sound. Mm. So I, I just call it Istala. Okay, Ishtala. But, uh, yeah, I'll see what I can find there. Oh, all right. Nice but job. uh second word yeah you got a point there Derek. good Whew. good for you but what if i put it there on purpose what if this was a piter <laughs> plan for you. you're doing all right kid. yeah <laughs> give you a couple of wins yeah before i send louis my betrayer <laughs> <laughs> he's almost gone <laughs> oh, no. um this one kala k-h-a-l-a um oh I think we've done this word. No, we haven't. Uh, I believe Gaius Hella Mahayam said this word when she said, um, and you will, oh, go, you, oh, you, mean, you will go across the funeral planes. Um, oh, I thought you meant in the glossary game that we... No, not in the glossary, but I believe it was oh. in the book, and it was her talking about that dream, 
and then I stopped to tell you what that word was. Oh, and well, I, believe... I hope not. Let me let me double check. Yeah. Uh, oh, Mike, what have you done? Yeah, yeah. I'm fairly certain you, it is what you. Uh, this is what I'm committing to. I know you're checking it, but I guess don't tell me as you get to it. Oh. Uh, it is like a thing you say. It's sort of like throwing salt over your shoulder. It like makes evil spirits go away. All right. So like, uh, it, or as another example, it'd be like, if I was going to say something terrible about you, I'd be like, oh, Mike, bless his heart, but he's just a little slow in the head there. It would be, you would say like, Kala, and then you can talk about this land or something without inviting evil spirits uh, kind of into the conversation or into the moment, so All to speak. Right. How does that line up with your definition? Oh, Derek, you're doing okay. Yeah. You're doing okay. Sappho juice for the win. <laughs> Kala, traditional invocation to still the angry spirits of a place whose name you mention. Yes. Okay, so it is a place in particular. Yeah. Too. So, um, cause, uh, so they have, um, the Fremen have a sketch in their lore that's called Jakarutu. And oh. Jakarutu was destroyed by the Fremen. The Fremen all banded together and destroyed every member of Jakarutu and <sighs> spilt their water on the sand. Oh. Because the people of Jakarutu would kill other Fremen and take their water. They were It's essentially cannibals in the desert. Oh, my God. Like, they were killing people just to take their water. I guess that makes sense that that would, like, That was arise. enough to you. That's, but so the, the uh, parallel you want to draw is that was the equivalency of, like, the Landsrad all joining up and attacking one house. Oh, you're right. Because all the Fremen naives banded together and they destroyed Jakarutu and, like, erase it from, um, basically, history. And the Sietch is forgotten its location. Do you think that there might be a parallel between uh, the Farfaluches and the Fremen? Where, like, say, uh, like, the Fremen all band together, like the Landsrod, to take over the, to fight this, uh, this cannibal tribe. Uh, sort of like would be like the emperor in this case if that's well no no they wouldn't be like the emperor they would be like a house that used atomics oh it was like you broke the great convention that binds us okay that makes sense so we turn on all of us unite to eliminate that makes more sense but okay so now but get blah going back to this idea do you think uh this uh this liet could be sort of the equivalent of like the emperor to the landsrad of the fremen yeah now you're onto something that, that could be that's interesting. Cool. Uh, using the Landsrad as an analogy to the Fremen, where would you put Liet in this? Uh, this oh, the dual allegiance thing though makes it even trippier. Yeah, it does make it because really that trippy. means like it's them, and then there's two other things that are then controlling the Fremen technically. Oh my god, that's a, that's a tough one to like uh, hash out right now. Gosh, why ah. Oh. I'm really trying to lay, nail this one down. I want I I feel like by the time this comes up again, where like we finally do like figure out what layout means, mm-hmm. I want to like have like at least be close to it. Okay, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You want to have a few things, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, a few pegs on a board, and yeah, a few yeah. ideas that you hit out there. Because like I feel like it's gonna be important. Oh yeah. Is Stilgar mentioned it? And honestly, I've only seen the guy for half of a chapter. We mm-hmm. haven't gotten to his backstory, and we probably won't until I get to learn more about the Fremen, because I know you're holding yeah, that yeah, exactly. out for that. Um, but Stilgar made an impression. Yeah. Like, because he represented, like, what I imagine the Fremen were. And just how well. standing eye to eye with the Duke and not giving him an yeah, inch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
And honestly, it felt like the Duke gave Stilgar more. I want to meet the guy that he serves. (laughs) That he bends the knee to. Yeah. Yeah, that's got to be someone intimidating. Oh, man. You know who might? I guess, or she. (gasps) My rogue Benny Gesserit theory. (gasps) Oh, like an immortal Benny Gesserit. Yeah, I'm just saying. That'd be cool. I think Duncan would mention that if he saw that, though. <laughs> like, maybe. She at least wasn't at C.H. Tabor, yeah. where he had, like, free reign. True. There's no immortal Bene Gesserit reason, uh, unless it's Mapes. Uh, Derek, don't tease me. No, I, yeah, it's not Mapes. Oh. <laughs> I <wouldn't laughs> well, tease me a little bit. <laughs> well, no, I didn't want... If, if I let that sit for a week, Mike, you were going to hate me even more when I told you later. <laughs> the raisin is impressive enough, oh. uh, but she is not Bene Gesserit through and through. Oh my gosh. What do you guys think? <laughs> I think in the end that kind of does it for this yeah. week. Yeah. But if you guys, if you got a question for us, if you know a wine that we could afford. Yeah, let us know. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Spice World Pod. Uh, we always have the email, spiceworldpod at I, gmail.com. I don't think I've gotten a single email yet. I don't think anyone's listening to us, Derek. Nope. I'll, I'll send one tomorrow. I'll send one tomorrow? <laughs> test, <laughs> test it out. Maybe it's not it's working. It's from Derek. Oh, no. <laughs> But uh, we've had a few through Twitter and Instagram. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. So we had that one historian that, like, first couple oh, days on yeah, Reddit. Oh, yeah, that's right. And, oh, I forget. I don't have their name on me at the moment. But they, I kept pronouncing it AQL as, like, three separate letters. It's pronounced Ockel. Ockel. Yeah. And I, <laughs> let, let me tell you how dumb I, I felt when I read that. Oh, I don't think you should feel too dumb. That's, that's a strange I could have at least Googled it and checked. But that gave you the best shot for the glossary game. <laughs> that's true. You did catch me off guard. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we also have our website, SpiceWorldPod.com. And guess what, Derek? Uh, what's that, Mike? I've been doing a little work on the website. Mike, I know you have. You've done amazing work on the website. <laughs> Thank you. It looks really good. It was really bad before. I couldn't figure out. I really wish that we had used something like uh, like Wix or Squarespace. Hey, sponsor us, please. <coughs> um, but... Send some wine. We went ahead and decided to just do WordPress, having no experience with WordPress mm-hmm. in the past, and that was just a, not a good idea. Not when there's a lot of other things on the plate. Uh, yeah, got a lot. If to it do. was just that, and we were, you know, just trying to learn that, that probably would have been its own adventure, and that would have been fine. But uh, it wasn't very user friendly starting out. Mm-mm. But uh, we, got, I got the hang of it. I spent a solid like 24 hours just sort of like noodling with it on and off <laughs> until I like sort of figured out the basics. Oh, Mike, pat yourself on the back. You did good. Uh, I think it represents it well. I love the fade. I love the new background. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. A little size it looks pretty it. cool. And you guys can go on there, follow all of our episodes, get all this latest one. Yeah. And we're going to be back next week, and we're hitting chapter 14. 14. Oh, my gosh. Oh, hey, I got the wine. I got the wine for that one. What do you got? Well, well, it's going to be a surprise. It's going to be a surprise, but it doesn't work with any other chapter. (laughs) Okay, I can accept (laughs) that as a truth, I guess. It's going to go bad. It turns into water (laughs) for the other ones. Well, no, that's good for the Fremen. (laughs) That's great. That's true. It's a (laughs) win-win. But uh, thank you, Derek, uh, for everything. Oh, Mike, thank you very much. This has been a solid chapter. It was, actually. It. it was pretty short, but we, we had a lot to talk about. We really needed to make up for Duncan. We do, because uh, and we got to get back for next week. Uh, we're going to stick around here. We're going to go come back in from the balcony, though. Okay. And we'll find out if Paul's asleep or not, I guess. We'll get <laughs> to the bottom of this one. That little Shake brat. This, this little sly rascal. <laughs> he can only stay awake for so long, Derek. So we're going to get him. <laughs> well... <laughs> Uh, I think we'll just wait, and until then, Mike, the The spice spice must flow.
you're already going for a refill. We haven't even hit the play button went, yet. You've went down lower than I did. What? <laughs> oh man, I feel like Thufir with his uh, Sappho lips. Yeah, his Sappho lips. Like I got that. I got them Louis lips. <laughs> <laughs> as soon as I wanted to say, I'm just like, mm, I don't think that sounds great. <laughs> no, no, it does Louis not. lips <laughs> sounds really weird. <laughs> In like a strange way, not a good way. 